Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Oh, and you can hear the disdain in Scott Fransky's voice. Yep, yep, yep. Good morning, everybody. Sunday morning in the Delaware Valley. I'm Glenn Mack, now joined by my pal Jody Mack. Good morning, Jody. Good morning, Mr. Mack. Now, well, uh, it is because you and I are on the air, but it wasn't a good night last night at the end of that Philly game. No, and so it went. Uh, an overmatched offense, again, uh, an inability to move runners, again, a wasted, brilliant pitching performance by Zach Wheeler. Yeah, they lose one to nothing. They have lost four straight, as you just heard Scott Fransky. Jody, we were so excited last week. That's what happens when you do one show a week as partners, yeah. you and I. We go from, oh, my God, things look great, back to red October again, to this team has no chance. How can we put any faith in this team? Yeah, with this, specifically with this team this year, a week can make a world of difference because they're so damn streaky. They are. They never win one, lose one, win two, lose one, win one, lose two. No, 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 no. Three, four, five at a clip in the W or the L side, which is why we have these massive swings of optimism and pessimism. All right, before we get to the one play that ended up being the decider in the game, let's talk about the offense or lack thereof. They get just two hits off of rookie Tyler Bybee. Jody, not Tom Bigby. Don't get any chills down there. You're spying. <laughs> I swear. By the way, people don't know Tom Bigby was our own pro, our old program director. He's the one who put Jody and I together for the first yes. time. Appreciate that, but he was not a warm, cuddly type. I think fair to say. Warm and cuddly. I don't think those two words were ever used in the same sentence as Tom Bigby ever before. No, may God rest his soul. Anyway, Tyler Bybee, ten strikeouts. Uh, although watching the game, man, I felt it, it felt like about fifteen. And Rob Thompson was asked after the game if he should shake up his lineup, and he said, no, they've got to come out of it. they got to hit. Those five guys got to hit, and that's where we're at. The five guys he's talking about is the top of the order, Schwarber, Trey Turner, Castellanos, Harper, and Real Muto, who yesterday go one for 17 with six strikeouts. Indulge me for just a minute, Jody. The day before that, those five guys collectively go three for 22 with seven strikeouts. You did get the real Muto home run. And then on Thursday, when they were shut out again against Milwaukee, real Muto sat. But the other guys went, the other four guys went one for 13 with five strikeouts. So add that up, Schwarber, Turner, Castellanos, Harper, and real Muto in the last three games have collectively gone five for 52 with 18 strikeouts. Jody, I know baseball a little, maybe not enough. I think that's not going to win. 
probably not going to get you where you want to go. And uh, I understand what the manager is saying. And he's right in that it doesn't matter where you put them. If they're this bad, you can bat them one through five. You can bat them five through nine. It doesn't matter. The offense is going to stink if these guys stink as bad as they've stunk the last several days. He's right about that. But so you just keep trotting it out there every single day and cross your fingers? I'm a big Rob Thompson fan. You know that. Anybody listening to me here on WIP sure. knows that. Uh, I think From before he was, he was here. Right. And he was an integral part of them turning around and making the World Series last year. And I think he's a very good manager. You know my overall thoughts on managers. When they lose, it's all their fault. When the team wins, it's, oh, talk about the players. Uh, The manager just did what he was supposed to do. It's a completely unfair way that managers are judged on a night-in, night-out basis. And uh, my friend and other former partner, I've had a couple over these 30-plus years, Susan Waldman used to say, more so appropriate for the team that she worked for, but uh, pretty damn close here in Philadelphia. It's a 162 one-game series. That that's how much people are analyzed. That every single game is like it's the most important game of the year, even though they play 162. And we're a little guilty of it here in Philadelphia. Uh, I love Rob Thompson. I think he's a great manager, and uh, I think he's done a phenomenal job since he's taken over. But it doesn't mean I can't critique some of the things he does. And his inflexibility with this lineup is almost mind-boggling that he just refuses. I'm not even talking about a major overhaul. How about a little tinker? Yeah. How about you just move a guy or two around? How about, and I know Trey Turner's here for 10 more years hereafter, and he's in the midst of this major funk. So he's got about second every day? Does he not come up, like, with the bases loaded every every other at bat? Does it not seem that way to you, Glenn? Oh, he's up with men on base all the time. Listen, again, yesterday they don't hit with men on base. And he is part of the, the guilty crew. And it, 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 is there a rule against dropping him down to six or seven for a day or two? Well, and see if he gets a couple of hits? I moving don't think Stata, it's a federal. Moving Bohm up, moving Marsh up. They're, they're the three best consistent hitters on your team, and they consistently batch six, seven, eight. Why? Why can't you just move one up every once in a while when you, the team is in a funk? Do something to shake it up a little bit, Skipper. Well, uh, Jody, I don't have good news for you because the lineup for today is already out. Already out? I, yeah, we're stealing a little bit from uh, our leading off segment at the end of the game, but I mean at the end of the show, but here you go. One through five, Schwarber. Now, hold on, hold on. Before you even go there, yeah. thank you, Rob. I got to say thank you, Rob Thompson, because he can't make a better point for me by doing this. Right. He is you- so stoic. Staunch in his belief, I shall not change the lineup. He puts it out three hours ahead of time before first pitch. Go ahead, give it to me. By the way, that is the eighth of the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not change my lineup. Uh, Kyle Schwarber leads off, Jody, but he is DHing today. Okay, we know what that means. Trey Turner is at, uh, second at shortstop. Castellanos in right field. Bryce Harper first base, baby, and Real Muto at catcher. And Bryce was good at first base the other day. He made that diving catch into the photographer's well. I think he misjudged the screen. I think he didn't. Yeah, know he where said the that. He, he thought that. Yeah, he thought it yeah, was going to support him. The screen was a little bit closer, and yeah, he went uh, head over the heels. 
Um, he was fine, and hopefully now we get him at first base for two days in a row, and they build up to Bryce Harper's going to become almost the everyday first baseman, which helps to dictate what Dave Dombrowski's going to do over the next 10 days leading up to the trade deadline. But it's the same one, two, three, four, uh, Real Muto five. Yep. Come on, Rob. You can't just play with a little bit to do something, to, to, to shake things up. He is stringent. He is strident. And I think he's being short-sighted. By the way, the rest of the lineup, Bryson Stott, my favorite guy, is batting sixth to second base. Boom is uh, third base. Uh, uh, Marsh bats, uh, excuse me, eighth in center. And Jake Cave gets the start today. Uh, Cleveland is starting a guy who's just coming off the 60-day disabled list. Their fifth starter with an ERA over five. Uh, last name's Battenfield. I forget his first name. He's a rookie uh, Who's zero and five? We'll get to him be, later be, on. Be but. careful. We saw what a rookie pitcher not named. Well, did but yeah, that yes, night. I, I, I. That's true. I, I will expect nothing. Um, so they can't score any runs yesterday. And the last time I checked the rules in baseball, you cannot win a game if you score no runs. Nope. They only gave up one. And let's, uh, Dan Wilson. Let's give the play where all of the wackiness ensued. Jody, I watched that thing about ten times just mm-hmm. to see if one party was more guilty than another, and really, and any or all could be could be guilty. It looked to me like Stott went out, pulled off it. Castellano watched, and Marsh maybe lost it in in the sky. Uh, Stott said afterward that he thought he heard Castellanos call him off, which didn't happen. Listen, it's a routine play. It's a bonehead error. It's scored a hit, of course. Um, and Wheeler, Zach Wheeler, I'm sure if he wasn't throwing his glove around in the dugout, felt like doing it as they're playing with their heads up their keisters. Um, isn't the outfielder supposed to call that one? I mean, wouldn't, it, wouldn't the smart, the logical thing be that Castellanos, who's the closest outfielder, is coming in and instead of Stott going out, he would take it? Yes and no. Um, first things first, I, I, I thought of you uh, when that play went down for, for a specific reason, because you and I have had this discussion, and I believe I heard you having it with Rob Ellis yesterday as I was driving to Monmouth Park uh, to go watch the Haskell. Nice. Um, the fact that Major League Baseball scoring this year has been so horrific. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> nothing, they, Nothing's an error. Nothing is an error. Um, that one you actually can't I know. debate. Because no one came close to touching it. Should that ball have been caught? Yes. So that means, well, if it should have been an out, then it's got to be an error. No, on that one, I actually can't fault the scorer. Although, nobody came close let to me say, it. you know how the NBA has team rebound? Yeah. They should have team error. Team error and give give a third to each. Uh, no, it's team error. That's it. Just at okay. the bottom you of the, the, you know, the statue. Designate who it goes to. Uh, okay, I, I get you. But that, that actually hit, which is just completely unfair to Wheeler, who was stone-cold dominant last night, and he gives up. Not only does he lose, but that counts as an earned run because it wasn't an error, which it should not have been. 
But, uh, no, the guy who that one is on more than anybody else, believe it or not, is probably the guy who had the, the least chance to make the play is Marsh. Because he's a center fielder? Center fielder's got to yeah. make that call. Yeah, he's I, the I guy. It. He's in charge. Uh, if it's a ball down the line in left field, he's not calling it. But anything that's in between right center and left center and a potential infielder coming out to make the play, that, that's the center fielder's job. He's got to let everybody know where everybody is, and he's got to make a call and scream out, Nicky, 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 if he thinks Castellano should make the play, or Stotty, 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 if he thinks he should make the play. And it seemed to me like he kind of just passed on his responsibility yeah. okay. on the play and let it drop in. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, here's the thing. By the way, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. We're going to talk Eels football in just a moment. Um, but here's the thing. The good news is they're really not losing ground. No. Miami has lost eight in a row. The Giants have lost four in a row. Arizona has lost three in a row. Only the Reds and the Brewers are winning at all. Actually, the Reds are four and six in their last ten, so they're not on fire. All right, Jody, the time comes right now where we do what we do every week. And which I we give not given it any thought. Shoot. All right. Well, I got I'll, I'll go I'll stall for a, a moment. Here, Mac. All right, here you go. Go ahead. Per fan graphs, the Phillies are at fifty nine percent chance to make the playoffs, which is behind only the Braves, obviously, the Brewers, the Padres, and the Giants. So per fan graph, that fifty nine percent ain't so bad. I'm going to be a tiny bit more optimistic and say today I give the Phillies a 60% chance to make the playoffs. Wow, you and I are close. Um, As we've done this each week for the better part of a couple of months now, I've been slightly more optimistic than you and even slightly more optimistic of the number crunchers at Fangraph or ESPN or wherever else you get your playoff possibility percentage from. I'm a little less today. Um, These last couple of games have been woefully disappointing, and the offense just disappearing and being non-existent. And the manager, who I do love, but I'm criticizing and critiquing today, refuses to show any flexibility with his lineup. 61. (laughs) So, (laughs) Is this the price is right? I'm slightly They say 59, I say 60. You box me in at 61? That's kind of what I'm doing here, Mac. I apologize. (laughs) Where's Bob Barker? Yeah, when you need him. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because I've been closer to 70, and uh, I'm just barely over 61. Now, if they have two good hitting days in a row, I'll jump back on that bandwagon, get all pumped up, and say, all right, they had a bad couple of days, so what? They're in great position. Uh, no, as we do it today, and it's what we do every week. We go up and we go down with the tide, just like the Phillies. 61% for me. All right, there you go. All right, let's uh, grab some phone calls. Mark in Woodbury starts this off. Hello, Mark. Good morning, guys. Hey, Good morning. Uh, um, watching this team, and, and I, I could not agree with you guys more about the lineup. And Let me start with that real quickly. Stott has to bat near the top of the lineup. Thank Boom. you. One of your best RBI guys has to bat fourth or fifth. I mean, Turner and Remuto. If I'm a media guy interviewing Rob Thompson, my first question is, why don't these guys swing at good pitches? What's the problem? I mean, you're talking about professional hitters, veterans in this league who have zero plate discipline. It, their approach is atrocious. Why is that? 
And I've been especially disappointed with Turner well, pretty close to all season, but even more so the last week or so. It's one thing to expand the zone when you got two strikes because you got to protect because the umpiring. Sure. I know Glenn's been harping this on this one. Oh, yeah. the home plate balls and strikes umpiring has Ridiculous. not been all that good this year. Um, so if a ball six inches off the plate, you take it, you get punched out, you're even more ticked off yourself going back to the dugout that you didn't at least take a hack. He's got bad plate discipline on, on no no strikes. One strike. Yeah. Forget about two strikes. He swings at balls that aren't even close throughout the entire count right now. He has no idea what he's doing. Jody, I'm shocked. I am shocked at how bad Trey Turner's been this year. I've you know, I've given him a couple months. I can't believe when they signed him, I thought it was an excellent free agent signing. I need I'm to interject, shocked. Mark. I just I need to get in here. We we were, and I know this is not what anybody wants to hear, and I'm not enjoying it any more than you. This was Nick Castellanos last year. This was Bryce Harper to a large extent his first year. Oh. I, I I know that it sounds like a lame excuse, but we've seen it before, and Castellanos having a good year, Harper MVP. Uh, give it a little patience. Uh, patience isn't I, even I the guess. word I want to say. Yeah, I okay. Th- yeah, thanks, man. Patience isn't the word because he does have to start hitting now. I guess it's we've survived this before, is the way I would put it. Don't love it. So let me we, ask we, you a question along those lines, Mac. Yeah. We have 10 days to the trade deadline. We're going to have Todd Zalecki on uh, to talk about what the Phillies can or should or might do uh, before July 31st. Should it be nothing? Because should they do what, nothing? Oh, no, they, no. They should, they, whoa, no, whoa, they, they whoa, should make whoa, moves. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would you acquire someone because you have to cut them slack? Because the transition to a new town is so difficult that there is an no, I'm expected not saying, oh, dip I'm, in their production that you, why would you go trade for someone with two months to go when you know they are going to falter because, God forbid, you ask them to come to a new town with new teammates in a new clubhouse and actually play up to the back of their baseball card. That, that is a very fair response by you that makes it sound like I am offering a – a lame forgiveness of what he is doing, and I understand that it sounds that way. And it, it, the reason is because it doesn't happen most of the time, but it does happen sometimes, and we've seen it. I am not excusing the guy. I am only saying that I hope that he gives us the future that we got. Do you regret them signing Bryce Harper? No. Do you regret them signing Castellanos? I didn't love the signing at the time, so my my opinion hasn't changed. I thought he was slightly overpaid and didn't want to go five years, but did I think it was an, oh, my God, what the hell are they thinking type signing? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping that next year at this time we feel the same way about Trey Turner. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's right what he's doing. I'm not saying that, you know, it's a great excuse. I'm just saying I've seen it before. Right. And if, if you're being an optimistic Philly fan, I get it. That's fair. But if you're being a realistic Phillies fan who's trying to explain it away, oh, you've got to give him time to adjust. Baloney, no. suck it up. Yep. You, si- you sign on for $300 million. Yeah, guess uh, you what? are getting paid you're this year. To I show understand. Up day one yeah. as the back of your baseball card. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, th- no argument. Uh, let's get John from Manny. I'm going to talk about the offense. Hey, John. Yeah, I don't want to keep uh, doing a dog pile on Trey Turner, but I was at the bar last night and I was sitting there. 
And I was like, uh, I think two days this week, he had base loaded, made out. And a guy was like, don't worry, he'll be okay. I know you're saying that, but the guy's making $30 million a year. I expect more. Yeah. And, and you should. Fair. <laughs> yeah. and, and you should. I, I regret sounding like I am the head of the Trey Turner Apologist Association because I don't mean to be. I'm just saying I've seen it before and therefore hope that he will recover as the others have. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and yes, it's in, it's inexcusable what is going on with him and the other top four guys at the at the at the front of the lineup. And uh, I got one more thing and another thing. Um, Jody's been following baseball more than most of us, and uh, the Orioles are coming to town. Are no joke. They're one of the best teams in baseball. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, I've been I've been harping on this for the last three days. I did three shows on CBS Sports Radio over the last four days, and. If there is a team that is a perfect fit for an acquisition and a rental of Shohei Otani, it is the Baltimore Orioles. More so than any other team, they've got uh, the best prospect in all of minor league baseball, Matt Holliday's kid, Jackson Holliday, is just killing it. He was number one pick in the draft last year, moving right through their system. They could get the best rental property in the history of baseball and not have to touch anyone on their major league roster, and they could move from a legit World Series contender to the favorite if they were to acquire Shohei Otani. I have not heard anybody else say that, Jody. I love that because they would seem to me to be under the radar for that. It's always the big market clubs that you hear about doing that. Although the other the other club I heard an argument for was Tampa Bay as a team that, you know, they're really close, and as a rental he would be a great rental for them, just take him for the rest right. of the and year. And he'd be a rental for the Orioles, too. But the yeah. problem is the Orioles actually, at, at one point, they had the highest payroll in all of baseball. Yeah. So they, they've got the wherewithal if they choose to to lift their payroll. Tampa doesn't really have that. And even just acquiring Otani for two months is going to take them above and beyond what they have their payroll at. So I, I would be shocked if, if uh, Otani ended up in Tampa. But I think it's very legit that he could end up in Baltimore. The Orioles are a really fun team to watch this year. The other team that's really been fun is the Reds, although obviously we have to root against the Reds because you want the Phillies to get that wild card. But the Reds have all these young players that just look so promising. It's, you know, those are two teams that have been really bad for a long time and kind of developed in their farm system and got some real talent coming up. So good for them. All right, coming up, uh, we do want to get to the Eagles. Training camp opens this week, so we're going to get into some things uh, regarding the Eagles and some debates that have been going on. As Jody said, Todd Zalecki is going to join us at 11. Our old pal Keith Byers is going to join us at noon. One, Keith is just a great guy talking football, but also Keith played the position of running back in the NFL for a lot of years. And Jody, as you and I discussed this morning, a little bit of controversy going on with the running backs in the league this these days. It'll be interesting to see what Keith has to say about it. Because he was a different type of running back. It was a different era. But uh, running backs are running backs are running backs. So uh, that'll be uh, great to hear from Keith uh, about what's going down with running backs in the NFL right now. Yeah, I think they probably look after their own. So I, I'm i guessing he'll stuck up for him. I don't know. Uh, we're going to do, we're going to sneak in a special Sunday what we're watching. Jody got involved in a show did you say you've watched like a hundred episodes over the course of a few weeks? That's correct. Over I'm, over over a hundred hours of television I, in a two week period. I am dying to hear about that because it must be great. And I checked out the Wilt documentary on which I have very 
mixed feelings, which I'll share with you. By the way, on Tuesday, August 8th, uh, Ray Dinger and I will be at the Uptown Now Performing Arts Center in Westchester. We're going to talk about Ray's paperback edition coming off the press of One Last Read, his memoirs, plus the start of Eagles camp, the NFL season coming up. It's going to be a VIP reception at 6 with the program starting at 7. Tommy and me is going to be coming to that Uptown Theater in September. For all information, go to info at uptownwestchester.org. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. This Sunday's Mac Attack. Glenn Mack now, Jody McDonald, brought to you by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, where odds, bets, slots, and games all come together in the palm of your hand. Must be 21 in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Charlie McDonald and Glenn Mack now on a Sunday in the Delaware Valley. Tuesday, two days from now, Eagles rookies report to camp. Veterans, Thursday. I, I, I so miss Lehigh for all that stuff, but it is what it is. Uh, the first you, you and I did many a show at Lehigh. Oh, uh, we did. Didn't love the drive, but it was kind of cool being there. And just uh, an aside, since we kind of uh, just ended up over there, who was your favorite player to interview at Lehigh? And you and I probably did uh, half a dozen shows, at least one every year for four, five, six years in a row, sometimes twice. Yeah. If it went long enough, they send us up twice, make that trek up the Northeast Extension. Who is your favorite guy to interview? Because I definitely have a favorite. Uh, well, I will give you two, both of whom uh, had, one does now and one used to have involvement with WIP. Hollis Thomas and Hugh Douglas were two of my absolute favorites. I like them both. I go differently. David Akers. Oh, okay. He was just a great interview, a great guy, a different perspective, because some people think that kickers aren't really football players. And if you knew David Akers at all, he was one of the most finely conditioned athletes on the Philadelphia Eagles. He took his job very seriously, even though it was only kicking. Uh, He used to go down and make tackles because he was that much into being a football player. And he was just a really bright guy and an observant guy, and I thought a, a great interview. I always, uh, it would be funny. Who would you want to talk to? You got to work with the Eagles and the PR staff, and who they will bring over. And I would every year say, "Can we get David Akers?" And you'd say, "Okay, Mac, if that's where you want to go." And we'd always have David on, and he was, I, as I remember, great every time we had him on. By the way, tough guy, karate man. Yes, it, oh, yeah. like I said, one of the most finely conditioned athletes on the Philadelphia Eagles. So uh, the Eagles are going to have their uh, 10 a.m. practices during camp most of the time. And according to the schedule that came out, they will not practice on back-to-back days for at least the first eight days. Nick Sirianni clearly, you know, going with the, hey, it's not a marathon. It's a, excuse me, it's a sprint. Excuse me. It's a marathon. Try a third time. <laughs> it's a marathon, not a sprint. That would have been a good line if I had gotten it out one of those two times. Um and you know what? I can't argue that because no. it, it worked. I, I railed against it from – and it, it pretty much picked up year one with Sirianni, but it was all the newness of it. And would he say anything goofy more than anything else? And it probably flew under the radar. But they had the same exact game plan, if not more so, going into year number two. And they were tied with 10 seconds going to Super Bowl. So uh, I think that you just have to – 
shrug your shoulders and go, all right, maybe they know better than me. I, I still think the best way to get ready for a season is actually practicing. And what the Eagles do is more like activities than an actual practice. But uh, they, they, they won. They, they did it their way and had the phenomenal season that they did. So you have to give them every single benefit of the doubt is how they want to prep for a tough upcoming season because we know the numbers about trying to get back to the Super Bowl after going and losing. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, not a lot of debate, not a lot of intrigue going into this training camp, no T.O. situations, really not a lot of position battles. You know, right guard is, is there, but that's not going to, you know, the, nobody's going to lose sleep over that. I mean, I know you do that Birds 365 every day, so I imagine July is just looking for any topic you can find. But there there has been some debate, as I've listened to WIP this week, on Nick Sirianni. And I'm just going to quote John Ritchie, uh, and and I respect John a lot, and obviously I respect John's football acumen. He, he went a lot further in it than any of the rest of us. And John's a really bright guy. Uh, he said, the jury's still out on Nick Sirianni. We watched our coach get his pants coached off by the guy on the other sideline during the Super Bowl. He's not sold on Nick uh, quite yet. Um I don't want to speak to John with him not being here, but my answer is if he got out coached by the guy on the other sideline, well, the guy on the other sideline, Andy Reid, has been doing it for 25 years and is a Hall of Famer, you know, walking around who's won a Super Bowl before. So I, I can't exactly say that because he got out coached by, if he got out coached by Andy in the Super Bowl, it reflects poorly him. And I'll also say this in Nick's defense. Nick kind of coaches the offense, which put up right. 35 points. If there's any aspect of the team that just got out, well, two, special teams and defense. And defense was Jonathan Gannon, who now, hello, goodbye, he's gone. I I don't put that on Nick. Nor do I. Um, you're right. Uh, he's if he was, which I would argue, if John were here, we would argue right now about it as to how badly he was outcoached in the Super Bowl. I, I don't think it was much at all. Um, and, yeah, Andy Reid is quickly making his way up the list of all-time greatest coaches. He's in the top ten, and he's making his way rapidly to the top five. Uh, so no shame if that is the case. And, yeah, a lot of hands off with Gannon in the defense. He gave Gannon full run of that defense, and it was the defense who – allowed two walk-in touchdowns at the end of the game uh, that was the eventual margin of victory. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to judge Nick Sirianni two full years because he may or may not have been outcoached in the last game that he coached. He came in here, improved the team from where Doug Peterson left it in year one, made the playoffs, all right, got their tail kicked in Tampa, and year two he's got him in the Super Bowl? How after only two years, and he's, you can't call all-time great, where's he right? No, no, no. He's two years in, and he's already got a Super Bowl appearance and two straight years in the playoffs under his belt. How is that anything but successful? It, it defines successful to me. Um, and by the way, I, I liked some of his coaching in the Super Bowl. I liked his boldness on fourth downs in the Super Bowl, which is how Doug won a Super Bowl. I, I, I thought he did a fine job in the Super Bowl. Yeah, his first year here, he made the playoffs as a rookie coach with guys on their roster like Alex Singleton and 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 Jannard Avery and Jalen Rager and these people playing you know serious plays, serious minutes, so to speak. Still a 
from another sport and, and by any first year starting quarterback and year two, oh, he only won 16 games. So I, I think that, uh, I'm sold on Nick. I can't, I have nothing to say about Nick Sirianni other than I, I have total faith in the guy. Right. The only thing Nick Sirianni hasn't done is something that he can't possibly have done is because he's only been a coach for two years. Yeah, what do you want? With back-to-back Super Bowls out of the gate? All right, yeah, he's an elite coach. That doesn't happen. Nobody wins back-to-back Super Bowls in their first two years as coach in the NFL. But his accomplished uh, – you can compare him to every other coach in the league, which is fair because he's got a coach against every other league in the uh, – every team in the league and every other coach. But you can only do so much in two years. Yeah, he has, he hasn't he's proven longevity. That's, that's his – That's it. That's his shortcoming. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to debate that with us, that's fine. I mean, it's uh, again, there, there are not a lot of huge debates. I guess we could have the same debate about Jalen Hurts, right? How much do you believe in him? He's only done it for that one year last year, but I, I think with Sirianni, certainly over two, I'm sold. I think that uh, the Eagles made a terrific hire. I think like 99 and a half percent of the people, I was really taken aback with my first impression of Nick Sirianni. Of course, that was him sitting in an empty room talking to, to people he didn't see and being really nervous about it. Uh, but after a rough start, he's come on gangbusters, and, and I like everything about the guy. Uh, Ken in Cinnaminson joins us. Hello, Ken. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Morning. Um, I, I listen to you guys on Sundays regularly when I'm in the car running my errands. I, I usually don't call, but I had a call this morning um, to talk about the Phillies and Trey Turner in particular. But the, your Eagles – Point real quick, Jody, you mentioned David Akers being a finely tuned athlete. A lot of people don't realize that the kickers on NFL teams are often among the best all-around athletes on the team. And Jake Elliott, who is the Eagles kicker, obviously, right now, recently joined a country club at which I'm a member. I'm not going to name which one. Uh, but the minute he signed the papers, he was the best player in the club. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, well, so he, he is reported to be the best golfer on the team. And when they have those softball games, he's the shortstop. So I, I think there is something to what you say. Uh, yeah, a lot, I, you know, I won't get into it. But a lot of them have plenty of time to become good athletes because all they do otherwise. That's kids, true. Right? They, they got a little extra time to work on but, just their athleticism. Good point. But uh, in terms of the Phillies, you know, look, it's become a daily thing to bang on Trey Turner here on WIP across the shows, across the hours, across the weeks. And I'm as disappointed with with what he's been this year and surprised as anybody else is. But I never hear anybody really bang on Kyle Schwarber. And, oh, come on, man. I mean, th- Leaving uh, leave Turner out of her second, you you don't listen enough because Kyle Schwarber takes a lot of heat. But oh yeah. But but that I, that that aside, your perception aside, go ahead and give your opinion on on Schwarber. Well, not as much as he should. I mean, th- th- this is a guy who is five times more likely to strike out than hit a home run. You know, he's got 300 bats every once in a while he hits a home run. In between home runs, he finds all kinds of new ways to hurt the team. Uh, Defensively, he's the worst defensive player in baseball, and he gets a pass for that almost every time when that's brought up. It is followed by, but he wasn't brought here to play defense. Well, hold on. I I really have to stop you because he gets ripped for his defense all the time. Their number one priority right now is to get him out of left field so that they can just use his bat and not have him hurt him on on defense. I I I, I don't know what you're I, not hearing, but I hear every day they got to get him out of left field. 
that have ripped because I don't know that anybody that defends his defense, everybody recognizes. But that is almost usually immediately followed by, but he wasn't brought here to do it. He wasn't brought here to be a, a okay. left fielder. Yeah, I, 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 maybe you listen Thanks, to WIP more than I do, but and I do listen pretty often. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say he wasn't brought here to play defense, that they, they use that as a defense. I much more hear which my partner Glenn Macnow went to uh, in the last segment. Yeah, but we've seen guys struggle coming to Philadelphia for the first time as a defense returner more than, oh, well, nobody expects uh, Schwarber to play defense because he was supposed to be a DH. I never hear that. Everyone kills him, including yours, truly, that beats him into the ground for his god-awful defense and he can't play left field to save his life. I, I just, you're hearing something different on WIP than I am. The only thing I defend Schwarber on is Rob Thompson, This and, and maybe this plays into the fact that Rob Thompson refuses to tinker with his lineup. He stood by Schwarber as the leadoff hitter last year when people were saying, he's striking out, how can you have a leadoff hitter who never puts the ball in play, blah, blah. But they win games. At least there's something behind it as a defense. You might not be able to understand it or wrap your baseball mind around it, but they win games when he leads off. Nobody defends his defense. Nobody. How, how would you even try? You can't. No. He's terrible out there. No, and nobody nobody minimizes his defense either. No. Um, I mean, there's really two arguments going on here, right? There's Ken the caller's argument that, that Schwarber should take more heat, and you and I agree he takes a lot of heat. But then there's also the argument of, his numbers are, in many ways, really bad. He does have 26 home runs. He's got some leadoff home runs, which is good. He will take a walk. After that, there's nothing else to say in favor of his game. He hustles, and he's a good teammate. He's got an on-base percentage of 310, not a batting average, an on-base percentage of 310, which I know lineups aren't what they used to be, but I don't have a guy – I would never have a guy with a 310 on base percentage as my leadoff hitter. Just just wouldn't do it. And he leads the league with 130 strikeouts after having 200 last year. He did lead the league in home runs last year. He does hit for power. That is a good thing. I don't I still I cannot understand him batting leadoff and no logic makes any sense to me in that regard, Jody. Except for the fact that you check the one lost record. <laughs> they're whatever. It, they're 47 it, and 28 or whatever number they are. When he, when they, they're off. 30 games above 500 when yeah. he leads off. And yeah. he's uh, when he plays any other position, they're below 500. So it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. You just have to accept it for what it is. But I love the fact that the caller said, yeah, and every once in a while he hits home run. <laughs> He's got almost double any other Philly player. And, oh, by the way, Castellanos was born to hit home runs. Bryson Stott is, like, close to being second on his team, a guy we expected no home runs out of. Bryce Harper got that fourth home run. Oh, this is going to be the turning point. Now Harper's going to get the power regenerator. He's still at four. Yeah. So if you want to say Schwarber doesn't hit home runs, well, 26 is a pretty damn good number, comp him to the rest of the Phillies. The Phillies in general – are coming up way small in the power department this year. Yeah, he's all they got in that regard. 215-592-9494. Don't forget Todd Zalecki talks some baseball with us at 11. Keith Byers to talk NFL running backs at noon. And Jody, in the 11 o'clock hour, will reveal the show that has made him into an addict. Looking forward to that. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Hey, um... Bring on the summer heat.
Huge savings when you replace your old inefficient windows and doors with the great people at Guida Door and Window. Right now, Guida is offering the best discounts of the year with their big 40% off summer sales event on all expertly installed windows and doors. Now, if you've got drafty windows you've been meaning to replace, well, you get 40% off each window you buy. That's right, 40% off all high-performance, energy-efficient, triple-pane windows. Maybe you need new doors. Guida's got you covered there as well. 40% off all high-quality entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, you start your project with no money out of pocket. You pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. Don't let these incredible savings pass you by. Go Guida right now so you can take advantage of these limited-time savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires July 31st, so call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. Well, Jody, that was the first home run of uh, Scott Rowland's career all those years and years really? and years ago. And today in Cooperstown, Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff will be inducted into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. I will not argue that Scott Rowland doesn't deserve to go to the Hall of Fame because he does. I mean, he was, whatever, seven-time Gold Glover, six-time All-Star, postseason play. Uh, he put together a, a career that certainly deserves it. Some people argue he's the greatest defensive third baseman of all time. To my eyes, it was Brooks Robinson from yeah. when I was a kid, but, I, you know, whatever. He was certainly one of the best defensive third basemen of all time, and that means a lot. Here's what I will ask you, and I, I just uh, yesterday asked uh, Rob Ellis this right at the end of our show and didn't get a chance to get into it. Philadelphia fans get very excited when our guys get into the Hall of Fame. Um, we send people to Cooperstown. It has become a sea of red. Uh, we send guys to Canton when um, Brian Dawkins got in, when Harold Carmichael got in. Hey, when Reggie White got in, Philadelphia Eagles fans – uh, showed up yep. for those things. They do it. They they they're big big on it. Are there going to be five people today at that induction in Cooperstown wearing the roll? I forget what jersey number he wore. I'm sorry, wearing a a rolling e- uh, Eagles Phillies jersey. I would be surprised uh, if there was massive Philly attendance slash support for. Scott Rowland. Now he'll have his fans there. I will suggest there'd be much more Cardinal fans than Philly fans because that was the most significant part of his career because the Cardinals were good, won a World Series. That didn't happen when he was here in Philadelphia. Uh, Rowland's one of those unique guys. You and I are on, on different pages on this one. Uh, you're not a, as big a fan of him because of the way things ended here and him asking to be traded and wanting to move on. Yeah, and, and even in, during his time here, he just—he always seemed like he was a miserable guy. See, I would not say miserable, non-emotional. Yes, and I think as Philadelphia fans, this is one area where I kind of go down the different road from the way most Philadelphia fans handle their business um, and and respond uh, on outlets like WIP to how they feel about uh, players in town. I'm not nearly as motivated by what a guy says as what he does on the field. I think there's a percentage of the fan base here in town that much more care about what he says than what he does. Yeah, you want to like him. Yeah. So when I he said, care. let me just let me just point out one thing, because I remember, I remember this. 
when he was really starting to get good, right? Like 19, he was rookie of the year, 1997, right? 97, 98. I mean, he was great player for them. And the Inquirer went to do a, a profile on him. And they're asking him kind of off the, you know, off the field questions. Tell us about your dogs. He had pet dogs. Tell us about your upbringing. Let's, you know, they're, they're doing what you do with those stories. And he said, if people want to know about me, sorry about your luck. And that just struck me as, hey, fans are fans not just because you can go two for four and pick it at third base. They're fans because they want to like you on a personal level. It's part of being a sports fan, and he would not open up on it. That was the beginning of that. And then, obviously, it gets into when he wanted out of here. And the team was bad, and he wanted out of here because he didn't feel ownership had a commitment to win, and I get that. But he just seemed like he a surly, mopey guy to me. Yeah. I, Didn't I, even play on Scott Rowland Day. Right. But that wasn't his choice. That was his manager's choice, which was as dumb as it gets. Uh, but Scott didn't exactly throw up any uh, after the fact, yeah, I would have liked to play. Just kind of like uh, shrugged and, and moved on. Which was Scott Rowland. He was a robot. Shrug and move on. That's that's a good description of him. Yeah, it was. And that's, uh, for some people, that's uh, unacceptable. For me, I don't care. Tell me you got your two hits. Tell me you made your two outstanding defensive plays. I'm there to root for Scott Rowland, the player, not Scott Rowland, the guy. I, I don't put near as much emphasis on one's personality. If you've got it and you share it, that's great. If you don't, that's up to you. I, I'm not going to hold it against you if you choose not to. Yeah. A lot of people in Philadelphia do. I've never been that guy. I don't care if you're a nice guy, if you're a warm guy, if you're a pleasant guy. Just don't be an, an a-hole. Oh, because we have those Chauncey Gardner-Johnson soon as he gets out of town ripping the snot out of Philadelphians. Yeah, that okay. was odd. Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that was disappointing, too, because he, he was a guy I think people really liked when he was here. Yeah. Oh, guess what? Now they all hate him. Why? Because if you don't say well. what you're supposed to say, <laughs> you're out. You're, you're excommunicated. You're done. That's the way Philadelphia fans handle things. Uh, I don't want to say everybody, but a portion of, pretty damn big portion of, uh, it's more about what you say than what you do on the field, which I think is dumb. Um, and the funny part about Rowan is you think he's a Hall of Famer, huh? I do. Um, I don't. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know on what basis he's not. He, I, I'm, I'm looking to see how many gold gloves he got. He got about seven all-star. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight-time all-star. Uh, MVP votes, one, two, three, four different years. Finished as high as fourth. Um, you know, I, I don't know what, what doesn't put him there, Jody. Over yeah. 100 RBIs five times. Fourth, fourth one time as the MVP? Yeah, yeah it was his highest. for me. Okay. He was a really – we have this discussion all the time. Yeah, There's the Hall. the Hall of Fame and the Hall yeah. of Very Good. And I think Scott Rowland belongs in the Hall of Very Good. That's what interesting. What we've seen over the last couple of years is the Hall of Very Good's getting in. That the standard to make the Hall of Fame has dropped, I won't say precipitously, but pretty significantly. And a guy like Scott Rowland is now in, and I just never saw him as a Hall of Famer. I, he was always one of those guys who was close but short as far as I was concerned, whether he's a, considered a Philly or Cardinal or Blue Jay or whatever else. I'm looking at his entire career. Very good. Very, very good. 
Hall of Fame worthy would have been no. I would have never put him on my ballot in ten years. It's interesting. The I year the uh, the year the Cardinals uh, wait, where's the year the Cardinals won the World Series? There it is. Hit four twenty one with the year the Cardinals won the World Series. Hit in, uh, in the postseason. Well, you're talking about no in that World Series. Oh, in the World Series. Itself. In the World okay. Series, yeah. He didn't hit as well that post. He went one for eleven in the in the NLDS that year, but whatever. Um, it's funny, it's because I Fred McGriff to me is kind of like eh, I don't know. See, but McGriff is my guy. Wow, it's so it's, funny that they're uh, going in on the same year because yeah. I would have voted for Fred McGriff every single year he was on the ballot, uh, every year. And yeah. I saw a great stat. I forget who put it out yesterday. Um, the strike year where they lost all those games. Ninety four. Fred McGriff was leading Major League Baseball in home runs at the time, having a great season. If he just gets to finish that year, chances are he hits over 500 home runs. It's more home runs than Ken Griffey Jr. in a lot. Nobody would even be questioning this. It's because he stalled at 495 and he lost 60-some-odd games that year. Fred McGriff seriously put the fear into opposing teams' pitchers. When he came to the plate, other teams had to uh, figure out ways to stop him. I don't know that Scott Rowland ever did that to another team. Well, no, but Scott Rowland brings the defensive aspect of it, which is pretty damn big. Scott Rowland was all, God, I, I'm now I'm arguing for Scott Rowland. This yeah, is that's bizarro funny. world. Yeah. Scott Rowland was also one of the best base runners I've ever seen in a Philly uniform. Smart base runner, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he always got first to third, and he never got picked off, and he just seemed like a really good base runner. And a real big jerk face, uh, which is why I'll start with my original premise, which is, I'll ask you the question, and I'll ask the audience. You have time to think about it because we're going to go into a break here. Is there ever a somebody who played in Philadelphia, and I'll say minimum of five years, that people were less excited about getting into the Hall of Fame? Ooh. Think about it. We got time. We're on till okay. one. All right. All right. And I'll ask the audience. Is there ever anybody, four major teams, who wore a uniform of one of those teams? Not just a guy passed through town for six months. Not Adam Oates, but a guy who really stuck around and had some semblance of a career here who got into his Hall of Fame, and we thought, meh, at best. 215-592-9494 coming up. We'll check in with our pal Todd Zalecki, see what Todd thinks about this as well as many other things. Jordy McDonald, Glenn Mack now a 94 WIP. The Bet Park Sportsbook app is the only app I recommend and I play with. They cater to the real Philly sports fan with the best class customer service the birds open training camp this week coming up now's the perfect time to think about those pro football future bets on the park sportsbook app 50 dollars wager right now for the birds to reach the conference final they should do that without much trouble shouldn't they it pays 80 dollars. bet pro football futures now here are the favorites to potential payouts for winning it all this year the favorite yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs. Bet $50, win 300 Bet on the Eagles. Chiefs 5-1, to one. Eagles 6-1, to one. get you 350 I would think about picking out an Eagle potential Super Bowl opponent and then go ahead and put the birds on top. The odds will go up significantly if you've got the two right teams and you've got the right winner. Join me right now. Download the Bet Park Sportsbook app. Uh, new customers, if you've never played with Parks before, bet $10 on your first wager. Win and get $125 in a sportsbook bonus back. That's a must-be-a-winning bet, and bonus bets must be wagered once. Still, it's a great way to start your experience with a win-win with the Bet Park Sportsbook app.
Well, yes, he does. Uh, we lost Todd Zalecki. Did we lose Todd Zalecki there? Okay, would you punch him up? I don't see him on my screen. There we go. Todd Zalecki joins us uh, from MLB.com. Uh, I just want to say I am a big fan of the Phillies Beat newsletter. Todd, how can people get that fine production that you put out weekly? So uh, here's every Wednesday and Saturday in your inbox. And then uh, I guess the easiest way would be it later appears on phillies.com as a story. And there's a link at the top where you can click on it and uh, subscribe. And every Wednesday and Saturday, you'll get something in, the, uh, in, your, in your email in the morning. And I do, and I always look forward to it. I always read it first off. Uh, and so before we get to uh, what we just played, which was the Phillies not scoring with men on base, uh, the most recent one that you uh, had yesterday talks about Bryce Harper's debut at first base the other day, made eight plays, uh, as you say, looked more than competent with each one. I know it was one game. I know he's doing it again today. Todd, is there like is the greatest hope that between now and the end of the month, he proves it enough that they can make a deal with the assumption he's going to be able to play there? Yes, I th- I think so. I yeah, I think it's just you know nobody's expecting him to be a Gold Glover. But I think they just want to have somebody. They want to know that he can go out there, play there every day down the stretch, and and be decent at the job. And I don't, I don't, decent. I guess depends on on who you are. But um, make make the routine plays. He's going to make some mistakes every once in a while. He's going to have a ball go through his legs, or he's not going to be able to scoop a ball. But you want him to be just competent enough where you can get Kyle Schwarber out of left field and they can find another outfielder before the trade deadline because uh, getting Kyle Schwarber out of left field I think would be a huge boost. Well, I don't think. It would be a huge boost for this defense because right now he grades as the worst defender in all of baseball at any position. And so you'd have an upgrade in left field. It would help the pitching staff. And then if you can add a right-handed bat to play left field, now you've also added a little bit more depth to the lineup. All right, if that's the case, Todd, give me the percentage chance, because I have a number, uh, that Bryce Harper will do something over the next 10 days that will have the Phillies doubting that he can be their first baseman going forward for the last two months of the season. What's the percentage chance that that could actually be the decision? I, honestly, I think it's a low number. I really do. I'm going to say there's a 10% chance that he goes out there, it goes so poorly that they're like, you know what? I don't think that this. I don't think that this is going to work. So I absolutely think that you know, barring some again a, a crazy couple games where he just gets lost, he 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 loses his confidence. And honestly, I think in the situation of Bryce as a superstar player, he does not want to embarrass himself. So if he feels like he's going out there and embarrassing himself every night, then yes. But I think this is going to happen. I think it's. I think he's going to stick. Yeah, you're so you at ten. I'm, I'm at less than one. Okay. Oh, wow. It's a foregone conclusion. (laughs) He's going to be their first baseman. The only thing I don't comprehend is he played there the other night, made all eight plays, one of them kind of in spectacular highlight flat fashion, and then he had to go back to DH yesterday. Yeah. If you really are, that's why I think it's less than one. They decided it's done. Uh, That's why they can take a day and a breath and go, yeah, we just don't want to push him back. They've already made up their mind. He's going to be their first baseman going forward for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. So, I mean, right. If they were, like, super, super unsure, like, we don't know if you're going to be involved in the more. But, yeah, you know, 10%, 1%. I would, I would put a – I would put a – I would put a 
amount of money on Bryce Harper being the Phillies' first baseman mid-August, mid-September, and going forward. Todd, we're getting um, a little interference. I don't know where you're standing, but if you can move 10 feet, we might. Sure. I don't know where you are, but maybe we can get rid of it. Um, so we talked about the lineup and the inconsistency, uh, particularly at the top of the lineup. By the way, Jody, I read a lineup at the start of the show. Turns out that was just a placeholder on the website. So the lineup is out now, and it's a little bit different. Okay. Uh, Schwarber leads off. It's, it's Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Castellanos, Bryson Stott, five, JT Real Muto, six, mm. Alec Bohm bats seventh, Marsh bats eighth, Cave bats ninth. So it's a little bit different than what we said, but um, it's the top five guys, not including Stott, but Real Muto, have gone five for 52 over the last few games, um, Todd. The inconsistency or their ability to just freeze and get cold has really hurt them clearly has in the last four games this is not exactly shaking it up what uh, rob thompson's doing here and i know all the arguments that schwarber's batting lead off and so on is there is there any well I'll, i'm going to ask it a different way what would todd zalecki the manager do well that's I, you know i like the idea I, you know i love i love bryson stott as a player um you know i i get schwarber moving him down in the lineup, that would make a lot of sense. I, I like Stott hitting fifth and maybe moving JT down until he gets going a little more. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm not a huge lineup guy in terms of if they just did this, they would start clicking on all cylinders. I think a big reason why you're seeing some inconsistency with this offense is that no matter where Kyle Schwarber hits, no matter where Trey Turner hits, no matter where Bryce Harper hits, they're not having their typical seasons. You know, Harper has only homered once since May 25th. You know, Trey Turner is a 850 OPS or better guy, steals a ton of bases. He gets on base a lot. He causes a lot of havoc in the bases. He really hasn't done that, although he's been better the last five or six weeks. And Schwarber, of course, remember in spring training, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, the shift. There's no more shift. Kyle Schwarber's going to hit, like, 250 this year. Yeah, guilty. Guilty as charged right here. I thought his average was going up 40 points. 100%. 100%. So, you know, those three guys. So now you say, like, well, if you, if you just hit Schwarber fifth and then this guy hits Stott first, the offense will take off. I don't necessarily believe that because those three guys, no matter where they're hitting, you move them up and down. They haven't put up their regular numbers. So if they start putting up their regular numbers, their regular performances, I think, I think the offense is going to take care of itself. One thing I'm going to be interested in seeing is once Harper starts playing every day at first base, you get Kyle Schwarber off his feet. Does that help him offensively? He doesn't want to talk about it, but he's got some sort of knee issue that, you know, he's, he's clearly not moving as well. Even as last season, he was never a great defender, but he's clearly not moving as well as he was last season. And I wonder if he gets off his feet more, maybe that's going to help him at the plate. Todd, we are now just 10 days away from the trade deadline, and we assume the Phillies are going to do something. What and how big a... Uh, a type of deal it is is still to be determined. How big an effect does the news that we won't see Andrew Painter on a hill for anyone till at the earliest the start of the 2025 season? How much does that compromise the Phillies' chances to make a significant deal? I don't know if it compromises their chances. I think it maybe makes it a little bit more. Um, I, 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 I absolutely think the Phillies want to add a starting pitcher before the trade deadline. And I, I say that because right now, you know, you can make an argument. Well, you know, 
Wheeler, Nola, Walker, Suarez, they're all pitching well. You know, Christopher Sanchez has, has thrown pretty well. Let me get back. Christopher Sanchez has thrown the ball pretty well. But how much faith do you actually have that all five of those guys are going to stay healthy and pitching effectively? Maybe with the first four pitching effectively. But if, say, Christopher Sanchez comes back to earth or, say, Zach Wheeler gets hurt, now what are your options to replace him? Nick Nelson, Bailey Falter. I don't know if they would call up McAble or Griff McGarry, one of their top two prospects. So I think it's imperative for them to find some starting pitching, whether that's somebody as big as Marcus Stroman, uh, you know, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, you know, if they want to get a more controllable guy, Dylan Cease from the White Sox. But I do think that they need to go out and get somebody because they were absolutely hoping that Andrew Painter was going to be able to pitch for them down the stretch. I will ask you coming up who who they would have to uh, offer in a trade. But before that, I am one of many who feel getting an outfielder is an important thing to do. Uh, And the names I've heard, and you can feel free to add to them, I may have actually got these names from you. Randall Gritchick, uh, Tommy Pham, Lane Thomas, and my favorite, Cody Bellinger, who just continues to hit the cover off the ball for the Cubs, the woeful Cubs. Uh, are those the names in play? Do you think that's a good idea for the Phils, and are those realistic? Yeah, I think all, all of those guys are realistic. Um, you know, Cody Bellinger certainly would be the most exciting of those guys. Oh, but, yeah. but, but Dave Dombrowski said this the other day, and I've heard the same thing, that they would really like to have a right-handed, right-handed. bat yeah. In, yeah. to play left field because they've yeah. really never replaced Reese Hoskins' thump in the lineup. You know, so that's why I look at somebody that's, Young and controllable like Lane Thomas from the Nationals, I think he would make a lot of sense. He has some pop. He's, he can play left field. He can actually play all, all over the outfield. Um, so if you, did, you have an upgrade uh, in the lineup, and you would have an upgrade you know, defensively, certainly over Kyle Schwarber. So any, any one of those four guys would make a lot of sense. But you know, I wouldn't rule out Cody Bellinger, but just based off the fact that Dave Dombrowski, who really doesn't say much, tip his hand too much, says we want a right-handed bat, leads me to believe that we're looking at some of those other guys we mentioned. All right, Todd, I'm going to ask you about a specific player in the Philly system. His name will come up this week. Whether the Phillies even make him available is to be determined. I've heard uh, just fans and and maybe a media guy or two throw Justin Crawford's name around, who the Phillies picked in the first round last year. He's having a nice year at low A. Right. And some people are stating him as if he's a can't-miss, uh, get-you-that-exact-player-you-need-on-the-major-league-level-right-now type player. I know your outlet, MLB.com, just did the updated top 100 prospects. He came in at number 83. So he's in the top 100, mm-hmm. but he's 83. And a guy who's picked a couple of picks ahead of him is the number one overall prospect uh, at uh, already made his way to Double A, uh, Matt Holiday's kid, Jackson Holiday, and Justin Crawford picked same draft. Both of them come out of high school. One's number one, one's number 83. Are people overstating the prospect status of Justin Crawford? You know, I don't know. Well, he's obviously he's super talented. That's why he was a first-round pick. He's got, you know, the pedigree. You know, his dad, Carl Crawford, had a fantastic major league career. And his numbers so far in low A are very good. He's hitting over 300. Um, he's hitting he's, he's hitting the ball into the gap. He's got ridiculous, ridiculous speed. 
Um, you know, he's very he's above average defensively. They they think he can be an all, a Gold Glove outfielder. Now, the one thing he hasn't shown is power. You know, I checked recently. He has not homered yet this season unless he just did in the last couple days um, for Clearwater. He has not hit a home run this season. Now, they they think the power is going to come. So, that said, they have Johan Rojas. They have Simon Muziotti. They have some kind of projectable center fielders, maybe not as projectable and as talented as Justin Crawford. But if the Phillies do want to go big, you know, he would certainly be a name I think they would consider. Now, uh, now whether they do that, uh, of course, I don't I'll say this. The last year at the trade deadline, right before the trade deadline, I asked Dave Dombrowski. This was back when the Juan Soto trade rumors were coming up. I said, no, there's a certain generational talent that might be available. Do you see the Phillies trying to trade for a generational-type talent? And Dave Dombrowski said, we're not trading our top prospects. We are not going to trade our top prospects right now. I asked him the same question the other day, and he said, I'm not going to say anything about that. Of course, you never want to trade your top prospects, but if the price is right and it makes Different. sense, yeah. you, have to, you have to consider anything. So if you just kind of want to read the tea leaves there, he's left the door open, whereas last year he's like, no, <laughs> we're, not, we're not even going to think about Nick Abel or Griff McGarry, certainly not Andrew Painter or any of the other top prospects. This year he's like, well, I mean, you know, of course you never want to, but I'm not going to say no right now either. That's so, and I just real quickly, Painter is is going to get presumably going to get um, Tommy John surgery next week. Is somebody like that even tradable? I, I think he would be tradable, sure, because the success rate of young pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery is is pretty high and. He is such a massive, massive talent that I think somebody would take a shot at him. Now you probably wouldn't be able to get what you would have, you know, last year at this time uh, because there is that uncertainty. I'm sure teams would use that as leverage, right? Like how about we give you Andrew Painter as part of a package for so-and-so? Well, I mean, you know, what if he doesn't come back? You know, we would look like idiots if we traded for a guy who's going to have Tommy John surgery on Wednesday. But I do think that uh, he could get you something, maybe not as much right now. So it's, you know, not that they would have wanted to trade him anyway. They are still super high on him. But, um, you know, it's, I think it's kind of off, off, out of the picture. And by the way, Todd, Justin Crawford, uh, about 10 days ago, hit his first home run. There so he go. does okay. have one. He's got he's one, got yeah. 40 RBIs and 225. That's not bad. So he's getting clutch hits. He right. just hasn't shown the power yet. And I'm not uh, trying to downgrade his prospect status. I've just heard some people, I think, overstate where he's at in his career and how much his value is going to be heading into the trade market. For sure. Yeah. You know, he's a high, 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 high on base guy, high batting average guy. He's got good gap to gap power in terms of, you know, he hits the ball to left center, right center. It's a double or it's a triple, you know, so that's kind of where his high slug is coming from right now. And, and I asked Dave this, it was a few weeks ago in Chicago about him. And he said, you know, right now, I don't, I don't care that he's hitting home runs right now. We want him to work about, worry about making contact and his bat to ball skills and they said eventually the power is going to come so if you if, you know if there's a team that believes that then he would be a very attractive trade chip all right last one for me todd zalecki crystal ball where does Shohei otani end up i don't know if he gets traded i i really don't and i and i say that because i think that the angels owner artie moreno is a you know He's got he's got a bit of an ego on him. He's he's a pro, probably a very prideful person, and 
I think it would be tough to be known forever. And I think this is something that some of these guys consider. You want to be known as a guy that traded Shohei Otani, who could be one of the greatest players to ever play baseball. So for that reason, I don't know that they trade him. Um, but I do not think the Phillies will, will, will be in the mix. I've gotten that question. I would be surprised if they if they went in and got, they got somebody like Shohei Otani. It would be awesome, though. Hey, I would be all about it. I would love that story. <laughs> I yeah. think uh, the Phillies have two chances to get Shohei Otani. Slim and none. Yeah, oh, I, none, I, just, I, none just left town. So it's uh, <laughs> Slim just left town, so it's none. They'll not be in the Otani thing. But let me ask you about the the player that I just mentioned earlier, Matt Holiday, son Jackson Holiday, the number one prospect on MLB.com's updated top 100 list. Who says no? Jackson Holiday for Shohei Otani, Orioles-Angels trade. But, I mean, yeah, that's that's a great point because, you know, I, I think a lot of baseball executives, they look at those kind of bloodlines and they say, all right, Matt Holliday was a superstar. This guy looks like a superstar. Maybe this guy's going to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. And maybe not Ken Griffey Jr., but you know what I'm saying. Um, In Baltimore, I think they think he's going to be the next uh, Cal Ripken since he's a shortstop. So that's why when I floated it out there on my national show, got a lot of Oriole fans checking in going, no way we're giving up Holiday. Not for a rental. Not a chance. He's going to be better than Cal. (laughs) I got someone tell me he's going to be better than Cal Ripken. So, uh, yeah, that's who they're comping him to since he's a shortstop. It's probably somebody that's never seen him actually play live. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you, Todd Zalecki. All right. So, Todd, before we let you go, uh, first of all, I hope the family is well. Thank you. There you go. And uh, I'm just going to remind people that they should subscribe to the Phillies Beat newsletter. Comes into your uh, email twice Wednesday, Saturday morning from Todd Zalecki. Always a pleasure, man. Be well. Thanks, guys. Take care. Have fun. Thanks Thanks for your time. There you go. Uh, let's sneak in a call before the break. Let's get in Andre or Andre or Andrew from uh, Andrew from Havertown. Good morning, Glenn. You and I hey go there. way back. You know, uh, I used to work for Cod, so you and I have met a couple of times. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, lot from Cod. So I'll just I'll just I'll touch on that. I think it's most interesting to talk about. But you know, you talked about a lot of the, the pieces they could add to trade deadline. I, I think they desperately need. You know, I realize that Bryce Harper has only played one game at first base, but they desperately need someone who has played that more than one game, has had success there. Because I really believe that you need a long-term solution there. Because I, with Reese Hoskins constantly coming back, I don't know what you would do moving forward you know, going into next season when you have all these outfielders and you have no one to play first base. So I look at this team now where they're struggling in offense. They need a guy, like I think that David Brodsky had said, with a power bat, who's played first base, who's been on a winning, winning team, like the Cardinals, I would go out to Paul Goldschmidt if I could. Because I feel like they need a guy who can take a lot of pitches, who can hit for power in the middle of the lineup, and really kind of solidify this offense because they're struggling right now, Glenn. Uh, Jody, I would have no argument if they have the ability to get Paul Goldschmidt. I don't know what it would take, but he's he has been a terrific hitter and defensive player in this league for a long time. Here's why I think they have very little chance to get a Paul Goldschmidt, because he's got time left on his contract. You're not just uh, renting him. You're not getting him right. for the uh, the rest of the season. If And I uh, I shouldn't speak for anyone else. I'll just speak for myself. I think the chance they get Shohei Otani is less than 1%. I would say Goldschmidt is the same, because it, why would the Cardinals give him up for what the Phillies have to offer? Their best prospect became a non-starter. 
because he's not going to pitch for a year and a half with Tommy John. And if they put Abel and McGarry in the package, who's going to be starting games for you? Aaron Nola walks out the door this year. You're going to be looking for three new members of the starting rotation next year. Don't see it happening. He's too. Paul Goldschmidt is too good. And, yes, I do believe Bryce Harper is going to be the Phillies' first baseman in the future going forward. Okay. Uh, Andrew, what do you, you got on Scott Rowland? So, you know, I, I was listening to you guys talk about Scott Rowland. I don't like the player. I feel like he abandoned the city to join baseball heaven. Couldn't have been more angering of a, you know, a phrase to us as Phillies fans. Yeah. But I think Jimmy Rowland has a better, you know, stance with doing the Hall of Fame than Scott Rowland has. I mean, J. Rowland won an MVP, won a World Series. Gold up shortstop, and he has over 2,000 career hits. I think J-Roll is hands down a better overall player than Scott Roll was. That's just my opinion. Well, the only the only distinction between the two that you just gave is that J-Roll uh, won a MVP and Roland at the highest finished fourth, but Roland fit, checks all the other boxes you just said. Which is not an argument it? against Rollins, but th- there's no. no distinction, no other distinction between the two. But I would say also, Glenn, too, is that if you look at it from – you know, the longevity, like the, the, the stretch the Phillies had, I thought they were more shut than the Cardinals were, and J-Roll was a big part of that. If you look from 2006 to 2012, J-Roll, I think, led the league in doubles one year, led the league in home runs from, from his position, won an MVP, won a gold, won gold gloves, I think multiple gold gloves. And he's a better overall, I think, in my guess, better overall player for the sport than Scott Rowland was. Uh, I will never make an argument against Jimmy Rollins, so I, I appreciate the conversation, but I – you know, I mean, I guess it's always going to be natural that you say this guy deserves it more than that guy, so that guy doesn't deserve it, or this guy's in the Hall of Fame, so the other guy should be in the Hall of Fame. I just can't, and I don't like Scott Rowland. And to his point, when Scott Rowland said St. Louis is baseball heaven, I did think that was giving the middle finger to all of us. But um, I I can't make an art. I just think Rowland is as much as I dislike him. On a personal level, I think the player's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he did get 2,000. He said, made sound, Jimmy got 2,000. Hits. Yeah, Roland got 2,000 hits, too. Yeah. 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 Just, just your Hall of Very Good for me, not yeah, Hall of that's Famer. Fine. Is Roland a Hall of Famer? Or is Rollins a Hall of Famer for you? Yeah. He is, and Roland isn't. That's yes. interesting. I agree with the caller. Because of the now, MVP? MVP, big part of it, and the success of the Phillies, the continued success of the Phillies more so than the Cardinals. Caller made a couple of good points. He overstated a couple of points, too, but he made a couple of good ones. And, again, like Jimmy's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's not like a no-brainer. There's a whole bunch of guys every single year that are on the ballot, Glenn, that fall into that gray area. And you got to take out your pen, and you got to draw a line, and some are above the line and some are below the line. They may be just below the line. I give you a guy I debated forever was Mike Messina, who got in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always thought Mike Messina was just short. He's a great number two starter. Absolutely. But I didn't think of him as a Hall of Famer. And he yeah. got in. And he's like, I'm not going to sit here on WIP today and go, oh, travesty that yeah, Scott right. Rowland is going into the Hall of Fame. No, he's right there. He's right on the cutting edge. But for me, he would have been just below. Jimmy Rollins would be just above. All right. They're always fun debates because it it is. Clearly, it's all your judgment. That's what yep. it is. All right. 215-592-9494. Coming up, what we're watching, Jody has discovered a show. And it's not a new show, correct? But you got no. hooked on this thing. And it's just, just to give the people a, a, a sniff. 
How many I, episodes have I you just, watched? I just checked it out. I, uh, I, I, I just saw off the top of my what I thought the feel was and going through the each episode and how many in a season. 99 episodes. In how That's much how time? How many in five years? How, how much that was? In a two-week period. <laughs> probably less than that. Probably like 12 days. I cannot wait to hear because I imagine it's got to be a great show. Two on five. Five nine two ninety four ninety four. He's Jody Mack. I'm Glenn Mack now on ninety four. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window. Big summer sales event. Receive forty percent off of windows and doors. Call one eight seven seven Go Guida or visit go g u i d a dot com. Jody, we teed it up pretty well. You are hooked on a show that's been around for a while that you just discovered, and what might that be? I'm going to. I'm glad to be able to say was hooked because I finished. Uh, so now I can put it in my rear view. Ninety nine episodes until, later, until it comes back again this fall. Because yes, it's an over the air network show on ABC called The Rookie. It's about a real life guy who woke up a bank robbery in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and had an awakening as a regular citizen. Stopped the bank robbery. He becomes the oldest rookie cop in Los Angeles. So it's derived from an actual story, but it's very well done, and I started watching it to its run. I don't, didn't even know when, how much it had been on before. It's a good, solid show. I tape it. I watch it every week. Don't watch it live. Get back to it two or three days later. And I saw a re-air of, a, of one of its show probably on ABC, 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, they got to fill that programming overnight stuff. Yeah, sure. So they used their own show rather than something else. And it was an episode that I knew I'd never seen because it was the first season. And I didn't know when I did join watching the show. So I said, let me see if I can find it anywhere. And it's streaming on Hulu. So I went back and watched the first season, which I had never watched. And I got into the second season. I started recognizing episodes. But I just kept watching. And every Mm -hmm. next episode in 15 seconds, all right, I got 45 (laughs) more minutes to go. Boom, hit the button. And then you watch the next one. 99 episodes later, I have watched every episode of The Rookie. It's a good show. Nathan Fillion is the lead character. Did you watch Castle? Oh, I know Castle, yeah. He was the the love interest, the very good-looking detective uh, in Castle. And he's this uh, 40-plus-year-old rookie on the L.A. police staff. And it's a really well-done show, and I, I truly do enjoy it. I got hooked i went down a rabbit hole and i just couldn't stop watching it so when you asked me can we review the quarterback i had to admit i've only watched two of the eight episodes because any spare time i've had i've been watching years of the rookie over the last two weeks so i apologize for it not being no that's fine hey listen anything you bring is great i I reviewed quarterback yesterday and I, i just in short i said it's good it's it's the um netflix eight parter that focuses on uh, Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and uh, Marcus Mariota, it's nothing that you're not good. Nothing you haven't seen before. Nothing that's not like hard knocks, but it's good. But this show that you're mentioning gets. I'm looking um, on AMDB. It gets an 8.0, which is a very high number, good rating. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll check it out. And it, listen, it's nice to have an over-the-air show every once in a while that you can trust, that you like. And so I, I appreciate that. And, I admire your binge. I'll give you that. And two two things about the quarterback, and I will watch. Now that I've got my life back, that I've watched all 99 episodes of The Rookie, <laughs> uh, I will watch those other six episodes. Two things. Number one, just on the first two episodes, they were all likable guys. Yeah. 
Cousins. I, I don't like the fact that I like Kirk Cousins, Cousins but, but I do. Cousins a good dad and a likable guy and a smart guy. And here's the thing, because uh, I talked about it with uh, my other partner, Johnny Mack, on Birds 365. Uh, and, again, maybe it was more shown through the uh, later episodes I haven't seen yet. Kirk Cousins was hurt every week. And yeah. he was dealing with something every single week. He never missed a snap. He was never on the injury report. So for those of you who believe the injury reports are the be-all, end-all to tell you whether a guy's hurt or not, yeah, not necessarily. Uh, if you think you're making a smart bet because the quarterback is actually hurt, nobody knew that Kirk Cousins was hurt until they revealed it all on this QB uh, Netflix uh, documentary. I- I'm very much looking forward to watching it. I'm sorry I haven't watched it yet, but I liked him. I liked and I even like Marcus Mariota. The one thing I noted about Mariota, I remember coming out of Oregon, I picked him to win the Heisman the year before he won the Heisman. So uh, I, I got a lot of kudos for Tab in that one. Man, did he get gray fast. He's like 30 years old, and he's salt and pepper everywhere. Yeah, he's pretty gray. Like yeah. he's the U.S. president. Yeah. <laughs> you're not supposed to get that gray that fast. Yeah, he's pretty gray. He's pretty Man. gray. Yeah, it's good. I, I recommended it yesterday, but I, it's nothing earth-shaking. Um, so I, I checked out this Goliath, which is the series on Wilt Chamberlain um, running now on Paramount Plus and Showtime. And it's interesting, Jody, because there's a lot of historical basketball documentaries this year. There's a Bill Russell one came out over the spring. There's one dropping on HBO right about now on Bill Walton called The Luckiest Man in the World. And so now you got Goliath about Wilt. And I think it's all following the amazing popularity of Last Dance over the pandemic uh, and maybe even Winning Time, that, that drama, sort of drama on HBO, which season two is coming up on that. Is it? Oh, yeah, they're doing season two. Oh, yeah. I knew they were doing season two. Are we, like, close? I, I think so. I've seen previews for it anyway. Okay, good. Uh, anyway, this is a three-parter on Wilt, and it's sometimes good and sometimes kind of odd. What's good is I think it covers a lot of ground from growing up in, in Overbrook Park as one of 11 kids, and he was a stutterer as a child. I didn't know that. He was very self-conscious about his height. I'm sure of that as a kid. Goes through college at Kansas. Goes through him breaking down racial barriers, fighting for players, um, talks about what kind of brother he was, got a couple of his sisters, teammate. I didn't know he was a Nixon Republican. That kind of surprised me. Um, and and it also, as much as he's famous for sleeping with 20,000 women, he was a real activist for women's rights. So it gets all that, and it is interesting. Here's where it's weird. Um, they had some old footage of games that they use, which is very cool to see, but for like lack of images from Chamberlain's younger days, they compensate, and I am not making up what I'm about to say, with dancing shadow puppet scenes. Excuse dancing me? silhouette puppets. Yes. Yes. It's true. That's what they do. And it's just like, well, that's odd. Uh, and the other thing is they use um, AI, 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 which is um, a lot was... A lot was made of the use, the artificial intelligence to read Wilt's own words in "quote unquote" his voice because he died in 1999. So they tried to recreate his voice through artificial intelligence. Does it sound like Wilt? I mean, kind of, sir. We've you know I, we've heard Wilt, 
it's just this very hollow, no affectation shell of a flatline voice, like in a single cadence, which is not what you would think of your trying to humanize a guy. It's, it's Wilt's voice as a robot. So I don't think that particularly worked. Um, it's three hours long. The best part for me was seeing some of his old college foot, footage. I'd never seen him playing college basketball, so that was cool. Um, and hearing Billy Cunningham and Rick Barry and Kevin Garnett, who produced it, and oh, Sonny Hill, of course. Right. Um, and it also, you know, it, it discusses the debate, would he win today? You know, would he be special today? Would he be just another guy? And you certainly come away believing that, yeah, he would. The guy who could jump out of gyms in 1957 could jump out of gyms today. So, again, very mixed review, but there it is. Last question on this, Jody Mack. Big one-two punch in the theaters right now this week. Barbie and Oppenheimer being dubbed Barbenheimer. Uh, Do you have interest in seeing either or both? Um, I have some interest in seeing both. Will I go to the theater and see either one? I can pretty much assure you that's not going to happen, uh, just because I'm not bothered. I, I'll, I have patience. Uh, I don't have to watch The Rookie anymore, so I've got some downtime. <laughs> so I'll, I'll wait till it comes out, on, and sometimes I'll pay for watching it at home, but uh, more likely than not, I'll wait till it gets to HBO. Uh, it's funny that you brought that up because that's my daughter's wheelhouse these days. She works in the entertainment department. Yeah for Comcast Sportsnet. So part of her job responsibilities are she goes to movie premieres. So she saw both movies before they were released in theaters, a week ahead of time, something like that. And she said both of them absolutely in her top ten movies of the year. Um, Oppenheimer, number one. And Barbie, I think, came in at number four, jumped into her top ten, and we're halfway through the year. Wow. And she gave thumbs up to both of them and liked them both. So I'm interested in seeing both, but that's not my job. That's her job. So I'll wait till <laughs> it okay. comes on my 60-inch flat-screen TV at home at some point. Got it. Um, real quick. Uh, let, me, let me just tell yeah. you the one other thing she saw. Um, what was uh, Tom Cruise this week? Oh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible out, which he had. seven, I think. Yeah. Right. Um, she she liked that as well. If you go to see that this week, if that's what you're into, action theater, uh, stuff like that, Tom Cruise does a 10-minute diatribe prior to the movie, just him on camera, thanking everyone who came to the show that night because they're saving the movies wow. by getting out to the theater. Interesting, yeah. That, uh, which, which you just said you won't do. Which I won't do. Sorry, Tom. You didn't, you didn't get through to me. You, you may have gotten through to somebody else. I like the way you do your diatribe of like, yeah, I'll watch it I, at home when I can get it. I'll pay three bucks. And yeah, like, exactly right. And Tom Cruise is out there like, hey, everybody, theaters are dying. Please come to the movies. And Jody Mack is, yeah, I'll catch happening. you when you get to my house. Um, <laughs> and and uh, there are people that say Tom Cruise has saved theatrical movies. Because of uh, Mission Impossible, and well, he yeah, uh, I mean, he's drawn 
as many or more people than anybody else. I'll give them that much. Right. So that's why the movie theaters, I guess, probably paid him extra or whatever. Asked him to do it. He said he'd do it, whatever else. But he specifically goes out of his way, and they play this before the movie plays, 10 minutes of Tom Cruise thanking the people, and please continue to patronize your local theaters because a movie like this needs to be seen on a big screen. Uh, so if you go to Mission Impossible this week, you'll get 10 minutes of Tom Cruise saying thanks for showing up. Yeah, well, I, I, I well, whatever. I haven't gotten, to, I've gotten to the movies like twice since the pandemic, so I can't exactly say that I'm I'm supporting them as Tom Cruise would want me to. But Wh- I which is once more than me. I went yeah. once. My okay. daughter dragged me once. She said, you have to come with me to this moment. Okay, yes, whatever you say, Pumpkin. Okay. Um, but that's it. You've been twice. I've been once. All right, uh, take a break. We'll get some calls in before the top of the hour. Keith Byers is going to join us to talk about NFL running backs. Sorry for keeping everybody on hold. We will get you coming up. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Bring on the summer heat with huge savings when you replace your old inefficient windows and doors with great people at Guided Door and Window. Right now, Guide is offering the best discounts of the year with their big 40% off summer sale. Now, it's on all expertly installed windows and doors. What does that mean? It means if you have drafty windows that you've been meaning to replace, you get 40% off each window you buy. Yep, 40% off all high-performance, energy-efficient, triple-pane windows. Maybe you need new doors. Take a look. Guide has got you covered. 40% off all high-quality entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can start your project with no money out of pocket. You can pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. Don't let these incredible savings pass you by. Go Guide it right now. Take advantage of these limited-time savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires July 31st. Call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A dot Jordan McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Jim and Willow Grove has been hanging. Hey there, Jim. Oh, hi. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for letting me come on. Of course. Um, I did want, by the way, I just wanted to mention that we talked about Will Chamberlain. Uh, uh, we went to uh, different high schools together, but um, I was went to Dobbins Vocational School in North Philly, and he went to, uh, my memory is not too good no more. Um, he went to Overbrook Park. 86 years old. Uh, excuse me, Overbrook High. Overbrook, yes, thank you. And I met him also at Willow Grove Park. I didn't want to say anything. The man corralled with people around him, but he was a very good man. Very nice. good man. I have very nice. good things to say about Wilt. Terrific. What but do you anyway, have about the Phillies yesterday? Uh, <laughs> I just want to talk, uh, concentrate my thoughts on what took place at the game last night with the Phillies that uh, had to do with um, my favorite player now. His first year is Stotts, and against, um, beg your pardon if I mispronounce names, mm-hmm. Castellanos. Um, Castellanos, yeah. Uh, him. Now, yeah. about a week ago, there was a play similar to that where there was a fly ball just almost exactly like that, and uh, he he came in, Castellanos, and, of course, uh, Stotts, Stotts was there, and he ran over him. Now, when you play outfield like that, I'm not no expert on that, but a man coming down, it's a lot easier to see and see a ball and uh, where the opposite with with uh, Stoltz, Stutz, and he ran over him. Stutt, yeah. He hurt him badly. Yeah, they have and not. Now, and and hey, thanks for the call and and be well. They have they have not 
figured out Jody Mack how to handle that uh, play when the ball is landing between or among two or three of them. And you said it right earlier. Um, there's one guy who really should be taking charge. Right. And I remember the exact play he's talking about because I feared Stott was going to get hurt because there was a pretty good collision between the two, and Castellanos is the bigger of the two guys, and he was coming harder. So I thought, uh-oh, Stott could get hurt on this play. He got up and he was fine, which was lucky, and you breathe this high of relief. But, again, it's been a long time since I played baseball, but I, when I played it, I played it well, and I understood the game very well. It's the outfielder's call. The outfielder has to make that call. He's coming in on the ball. The infielder is going back. It has to be the outfielder's judgment. And I don't know if Castellanos made the call on that play. Probably not. It's probably not something that Castellanos does well. The play last night was Marsh's call. Because if it's between a uh, right fielder and a left fielder, uh, excuse me, right fielder and a center fielder, or center fielder and a left fielder, center fielder makes a call. It, it, there is a protocol that you're supposed to follow on plays like that. The Phillies aren't good on that period, and no, that's they are not. The shame on the shame on all of them because yep. these they're just standard plays that you should have been taught when you were ten or twelve years old as to how to handle a play like that and how you dictate on the field who should be playing it. I have always liked Marsh's defense, but the that they're aiming to move him to left field, and, and part of that is because you, you've got these young kids that you brought up. It's an interview like Pache just looked like a terrific defensive player, and the new kid looks like a terrific defensive player. But maybe maybe they're looking to move him to left because they don't see him as that guy in center field. And I think he's a pretty damn good center fielder, but mm-hmm. there have been a couple Got range. of take-charge plays that he yeah. hasn't handled correctly. And if you've got him in left, you talk about – Glenn, you going out to left could be a defensive upgrade for Kyle Schwarber these days. Yeah. Uh, but if you put Marsh out there who's got center fielder speed in left field, that wouldn't be an upgrade. That'd be a massive upgrade. Yes, indeed. Uh, Tim in Doylestown is with us. Hey, Tim. Hey, how's it going, gentlemen? Thanks for having me on. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful Sunday. Yeah, nice it. day out there. Um, point, point I wanted to bring up and kind of exactly feeding off Marsh moving on to left field. I can't believe this name hasn't been brought up as a target for the Phillies at the deadline. Um, He's a right-handed bat, club option 2026. And I want some perspective on your thoughts on the possibility of the Phillies going after someone like Luis Robert from the the White Sox. White Sox. They looking at trading? Two chance. Slim and none. Up, Slim just left town. Much like Otani. Not happening. The, yeah. the the White Sox are a bad baseball team. The last thing they're going to do is trade. They're not yet in uh, any kind of spot to be able to make big money. He's a three-year pro. They're not going to give up one of their best young players. No chance, no shot. Wanted to throw it out there. Thought he would you got it. in the Phillies uniform. Never a problem. Oh, he surely he sure as hell would. He's a great young player. Uh, they're not trading him. You're not getting him. He's just not coming here. So what you – what? What you're looking for, I mean, if you're if you're a fan trying to figure out what they're going to do, you're looking for a guy who is imminently going to become a free agent, so it's a short-term thing, or a guy that's in a contract that the other team is like, wow, we paid this guy you know, too much money and there's two years to go at $20 million a year. We, we really think we'd rather get out of that. And you have a team like the Phillies that has the ability to take on that kind of money. Those are really the players that you look at now. You're not looking at a – a team that's got a, you said he's third-year guy, a third-year yeah. player 
who is still ascending and also under financial control. That the a team like the White Sox has no real impetus to trade a guy like that. Correct. So. He's probably their most non-tradable player. Yeah. I'm just trying to look up his salary real quick. I'm having trouble finding it, but uh, rest assured. Not not a ton, I believe, is the official number. Oh, you know what? No, I, I stand corrected. They did a futures deal with him. Oh, one of those. Okay. So he's making $9 million this year. 12 the year after, 15 the year after, and a mutual option for 2026. He's about a $25 million a year player, in my estimation, as per what he brings to the table. So you've got him locked up for two more years after at 12 million and 15 million and an option for the third year. Yeah, basically non-tradable. Yeah. Would, would not be dealt. No way, no how. No way, no how. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we're checking with old friend Keith Byers uh, and find out what he thinks about all this rigmarole going on in the NFL right now with running backs not getting what they think they ought to be paid. Jordy McDonald, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Packers get pressure. McMahon to Byers. It is caught for a touchdown. It's been deflection day at Lambeau Field. And twice it's gone in the Eagles' favor. Not many times when you catch a touchdown pass laying flat on your back. But this is a crazy opener. Chuck Cecil had this ball all the way. In fact, he could have called for a fair catch if he made the grab. <laughs> but Keith Byers caught it, and it was a touchdown, and he joins us now. The great Keith Byers. Uh, I was, Keith, I was... I was I called that game up. It was the opener in 1991. That was the game that Randall got injured, right, and missed the season? That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. That was I, a good I team. I will never forget that catch. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, sure. It's funny that you say that, Keith. You'll never forget that catch. There is a play that you were certainly prominent in that I will never forget because it was 1990. And it was the day I met my future wife after that game going out in uh, Center City. And I've been married 30-plus years now. Uh, against the New York Giants, when Keith Byers had the best downfield block that I had ever seen in my entire life to that point. And now 33 years later, I still say it's the greatest downfield block I've ever seen. And he took out Pepper Martin of the Giants. Um, uh, Pepper Johnson. Pepper Johnson. Pepper Johnson. Of the Giants, who was your college roommate, best bud, and best man at your wedding. Do I have that story right? You have it correct. And then we're uh, we're still brothers today. We've got different families, but we're we're still as close as we ever were. <laughs> you you hit him approximately five yards inbounds and drove him approximately 15 yards out of bounds before you actually got up off top of him. It was the greatest downfield block I've ever seen. Yeah, I only hit him with 97%. If, that, if his number was 56, if it was LT, I had three more percent. In it. So I did hold back a little bit. <laughs> Jody, I got. I just want. I got to. All the time, I said you better be glad that was Pepper instead of you, because I would have really went all out on you. <laughs> <laughs> so we we laugh about it over cigars all the time. 
Jody, I just have one quick question. Does your wife remember the day for that as oh, well? No, no, she does not. Okay. I, do. <laughs> I, will, okay. I tied those two together. She has no I, – I know I've mentioned it over the years, but uh, it just so happened that it's stuck in my brain, and I've been saying it on the air for 30 years, the greatest block I've ever seen oh, downfield yeah. is Keith Byers. Pepper, he came over my house for dinner that night. Really? And yeah, Because there's nothing going to ever separate us. You know, never. And I told him, you know, I said, we're never going to talk about this. And I said, but I got bragging rights for at least the next 50 years. And But we don't talk about it. So it's enough people that would bring it up in conversation in the future. Uh, and, <laughs> and that is what happened. And here we are. I've been doing it for 30 years. Whenever we together, they say, Keith Tepper, wait a minute, aren't you too? And like, yeah. Oh, that's so great. Always connected. Well, we wanted to bring you on today for a couple reasons, Keith Byers. First, you're just you're always fun to talk to. But second of all, you played running back for 13 seasons in the NFL. The first seven with the Eagles. You finished second second in Heisman Trophy voting in 1985. You've done some broadcasting. You follow the league. There is a huge ongoing issue right now with star running backs in the NFL, which is to say. They are not getting long-term big-money deals. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, not happy campers, uh, just were franchise tagged, didn't get multi-year contracts before the deadline this last week. Is this, in, in the mind of a guy who played in the league, played that position in the league, follows it now from where you are, is that unfair to them or is it smart business? I think it's unfair. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it even, it's been it's been happening, you know, uh, a few years now. I remember when Derrick Henry's contract was up, you know, with Tennessee Titans, and he took less money than what they paid Tennessee. And I was like, I, when I came into the league, it's usually the best player on the team got the most money. That's no longer the case. It's the quarterback, whether he's the best player on the team or not, they're always going to pay the quarterback, you know, the most. But when that Tennessee contract got done with with uh, with uh, Henry, I was like, what are you doing? You, you know, dude, you got them right where you want them. You know, Tennessee, you can hold out. They have to pay you. And he took less money. And I, I, that, it, but then it kind of, you know, trended more of that way, you know, a little bit even before that, but certainly – you know, after, and then you look at the year that Miles Sanders had, you know, with the Eagles last year, you re-signed him when he, was, he thought was going to be a no-brainer. He, you know, possibly an Eagle for life. And, you know, we just like, well, they're not going to do it. You know, not going to pay him, you know, premium value. You know, Ezekiel Elliott is still looking for, you know, a team, mm-hmm. you know, this close to training camp. And I was like, Eagles signing him. But I always go back to the money, you know, when he, he, they always looking to, you know, to save money and the running back position, you know, unfortunately, you know, drew the, the short straw, not only the running back, but how many teams even carry a fullback? So, yeah, I know two, your, two your old position's getting phased out. Yes. It's, it's, it's going to be obsolete. It's almost obsolete right now, but you know, the NFL is circular. You know, it may even go away, and then next thing you know, they're going to fall back and be back. You know, they try to play tight ends and, you know, we use them to block. And, you know, but I think things will still go around. You know, they, sure. they'll come back around and bring the full back into play. But right now, with the, with the, with the money that 
that's available, teams are looking for you know way to you know the cost saving. Unfortunately, it's the running back position. I mean, uh, pretty soon they won't even be running backs drafted in the first round, whether they win the Heisman Trophy or not. Yeah, Bijan Robinson know, was a, was a surprise that when Bijan Robinson went to Atlanta, it was pick eight, I think, number eight. Yep. Yeah, I think people were really surprised he went that early. There's a lot of pressure on Bijan coming into this season because he's now the water bearer. He's the guy who's got to hold up the running back position. But before we get there, Keith, I want to go back to something you said, uh, outstanding point about Derrick Henry being the best player, how come he's not the highest paid, is, is dead on. But it happened, and it had been happening. It's a big story this week because three guys just happened to get the franchise tag, and none of them signed, so everyone's paying more attention to it. But did the union not get ahead of this? Are they being reactive rather than proactive to try and, when negotiating a collective bargaining agreement, maybe put something in there that deals with the uniqueness of the position that the shelf life of running backs just isn't the same as other players at other positions? That's a very good question. And you kind of, you know, lit my fire when you talked about the union because we <laughs> – the union has not been strong for a long, for many decades. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. ever since we went on strike back in '87, mm-hmm. you know that was the that was the end of the union. We've been getting our butt kicked in negotiations with management ever since. And um, you know, so instead of us being unified as a as a union, every player, you know, when they started the quarterback club back in the late '80s and early '90s, acting, you know bringing the quarterback different from the rest of the team. That was some of the genesis of the division amongst in the locker room, where that was the beginning of where he's automatically has to be the highest paid player. He has to be the quarterback. He, you know, he's the most vocal point on him. And then they use terms like where the running back, he has a lot of hits on that body. I don't know how long he can last. Well, how many throws did that arm have on that quarterback? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we never worry about, you know, like in baseball, they talk about the pitch count. They don't want to, you know, any Tommy John surgeries. But how many how many throws did that quarterback arm have in it? Nobody cares about him throwing the ball 45, 50 times a Sunday, but you care about a running back carrying the ball 20 to 25 times a Sunday. Mm, which one's going to get hit more? <laughs> you know? Yeah, they, well. You know, they can protect the quarterback as much as they can, but it's still the arm still has a lot of throws in it. And yeah, but it – it seems like the theory – by the way, our guest is Keith Byers. Follow him on Twitter at KAB41. It seems like the theory is with running backs, they are disposable equipment. Use them up. As you say, you take so many hits. Use them up. They're done or declining by 28, 29 and move on. Um, it may actually be – competitively smart, but it just seems, and I think this is kind of the complaint that, that guys like Saquon Barkley have, it's it's just not fair that, you know, Barkley is upset. He's given his body to that franchise, come back from a lot, and now he's just being treated like, as I said, a disposable commodity. Saquon Barkley is more important to the New York Giants than Daniel Jones. They can find another Daniel Jones in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Saquon yeah. Barkley is a you know, that's a, you know, he's rare. He, I mean, they're findable where guys can catch, run, throw. I mean, he's the, he's the real deal. Yeah. He's the real deal. But they, but teams don't value that because they say, well, Saquon can do all that. You know, uh, other running backs, but 
why why pay that position? Let's say I'm just throwing the number out. Let's say we're gonna pay a running back fifteen million dollars. Well, we could pay three guys, you know, three million dollars and you know, total and then that's fine. We'll save six million dollars against the salary cap. That's what the Eagles did this year, right? So that's the Eagles let Miles Sanders walk. Miles Sanders signs a four year, twenty five million dollar deal. And the Eagles bring in DeAndre Swift, Rashad Penny. They still have Gainwell under a rookie contract. Boston Scott combined they're spending only $6 million for all of those guys. Which, by the way, I'll bet you the Eagles, and I had the quarterback in here, are going to finish in the top three in rushing in the NFL. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dispute that. But mm-hmm. then you want to put that much more pressure on your quarterback to run. Yeah, well, I hear that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and it's. I mean, I don't. I I, I love Jalen Hurts. I mean, he is, you know, high on my list. I, I've seen never. I've probably most popular career I've seen take off in his first three years. You know, his improvement from year one to year two to year three. I'm excited about year four. You know, his improvement every year has been off the chart. But whether you know J- Jalen Hurts or any quarterback, you know, runs. Whenever you run, you're, you're going to get hit. And when you're a dual threat quarterback like that, you get hit. You got to come up now. You got to throw the deep post, and not that you're hurt, but you you've been hit pretty good. Now, how accurate can I be consistently throwing the deep post and quick outs and quick slants after running the football, after taking a hit? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, we ask an awful lot out of that position, not just Jalen Hurts, but when any quarterbacks that run the ball like that, you know, but and and. And another reason why, which we didn't talk about, is the reason why they're devaluing the running back because of the fans in the league. They want more points, and they want excitement. And with running game, you got to be patient. You, you know, you can you, the running back is not going to always break off an eight, nine, ten, twenty, thirty yard run yeah. every two to three times he touches the ball. <laughs> you know, and are, are teams willing to do that? You know, Kev Jordan and I was talking about this the, the other day at a golf tournament. You know, for example, if you throw the ball on first and 10, incomplete pass, now it's second and 10. What's the chances of you running the ball? Again, probably, you know, 30%. So if you don't run it, you run it, you run the ball, and it's second and, and now it's third and eight, you only get two yards. Now you you are certainly not going to run the ball on third and eight, not too often. I mean, I'm talking about a design run. Sure. And so what happens is if you throw the ball on first and 10 and, you know, get five yards, and now you throw incompletion again on second down, now it's third and five, and now you're going to automatically run. Then you're like, you know, geez, when do we get to the running game? When do you get to the running game? Well, as you saw in the Super Bowl, when the Eagles was up 10, you know, at halftime, Kansas City didn't abandon the running game. The running game got them back into the game, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and then you know, it's some some other big play, but they never abandoned the running game. I mean, the Eagles, you know, ran the ball as well, but they didn't necessarily run it traditionally. Just handed the ball off and just trusting the offensive line. I mean, the Eagles have a great offensive line. I mean, and so not just the Eagles, but teams around the league. What is their formula, you know, for success? And most of them. Most teams aren't willing to dedicate, you know, that kind of time and resources to the running game, you know, to win. To win. You know, when I was in the league, more often than not, when 
it was eight minutes to go in the game and you had a lead, it was going to be very few passes left from that point. Now, it's a, you know, you get a five- or six-minute drive, the game is over. Yeah. And now yeah. when you see in the days of the NFL, with it's eight, eight, ten minutes to go, and the team is down, you know, eight two, or two scores, you know, it's not over because you're like, all we need is one stop. We get a score. We Because the teams are not going to be patient to run the football. Keith, <laughs> you know. Keith, let me ask you a two-part question, and I apologize for asking the first part. I probably should know I don't, but uh, after you answer the first one, you'll understand my second question. Do you okay. do any work these days with youth football? Uh, no, not not consistently. I, I will go out and, um, and you know, uh, I cover high school football during, a, during the fall, so I will go out to practices and things of that nature. I used to have a football camp. I, I'm not doing it right now. So, yes, I do. Uh, so, indirectly, I do get out and work with so, you. Okay, football. good. Then you can answer my question. If you run across a 13-, 14-year-old kid, and you can see on the team the guys that you're working with, he is far and away the best athlete. Um, he doesn't throw it real well. He's not a quarterback, but he is easily the best athlete on the team, and he's got some decent size to him. Would you advise him? Get the hell out of the running back room and get over the wide receiver because you're that good, that talented, and your future should be at wide receiver where they actually play uh, players when they get to the highest level, which I see that as your uh, top-end capability. Mm. Uh, when you say youth football, I'm thinking you're talking pre-high school, eighth yeah, grade and below. Yeah, right, 14, <laughs> 15. If he's in high school, he's a freshman. Um, uh, he hasn't developed. He's not a hundred percent sure what he's going to be. Would you not, Mister Running Back, advise him? Get yourself outside the numbers. Start making some catches. You need to be a wide receiver because that's the way football is trending. Well, no, I wouldn't do that. I always, you know, um, you know, try to develop the whole player. Don't be one dimensional. You know, some guys are going to have a wide receiver body. So yes. You know, you, you work, and I wouldn't put them at running back. But if a running back can, you know, go to wide receiver, I would keep him at running back, and he could be, you know, a player like myself, Alvin Alvin Kamara. <laughs> you know, the more mm-hmm. you know, Christian uh, uh, McCaffrey. McCaffrey. You know, the more you can do, the more valuable you are, you know, to a team instead of being one-dimensional. Because now you, you give a team, you know, options. I mean, you look at uh, Ezekiel Elliott and – J.K. Dobbins, you know, two recent guys from Ohio State who I watch a lot. Those guys are real-rounded running backs. They just don't throw the ball to them a lot, but they can catch the ball, they block, and they, of course, they can run the football. So you don't want to get pigeonholed as a running back. All I can do is run because everybody can run. Every <laughs> block, everybody, well, you know, what else? You know, make yourself valuable to a team, such as Saquon Barkley. He's valuable, you know, to a team. All right, Keith Byers. Before we let you go, proud alum of the Philadelphia Eagles, this organization, um, just kind of your take on uh, the Eagles going into this next season. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Nick Sirianni, how much faith you have that this team can once again contend for the Super Bowl? What do you like? What do you not oh, like? They are, they are built to last. They are built to, you know, for a run this era of Eagle football. It's in really good hands. But I'm just always reminded – you know, it is so hard to get to the Super Bowl. So when you get to the Super Bowl, you have to make the most of that opportunity because one thing we know for sure, there are no guarantees. I mean, we, we, you know, the Eagles have 
you know, fortunately being to be in the Super Bowl what three times this decade, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The Dallas Cowboys every year they said they're going to the Super Bowl. Oh. They haven't been to the Super Bowl in the two thousand. Indeed. <laughs> we, know, so, we can enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, so that's why it hurts still not winning the Super Bowl last year because you don't you have to seize the opportunity. You know, yeah. I live here in Ohio now and Cincinnati Bengals went to the Super Bowl, you know, after the twenty one season and they 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 were thirty one years in between Super Bowls. You know, they went to you know, they got back to the AFC championship game this past year, but you know, you never know. And I'm not trying to, you know, speak gloom and doom to the Eagles prospect. You know, because teams do get there back-to-back years. So I would love, you know, for the Eagles to get back to the Super Bowl and win it this year. You know, but we are in such a long way away. This is the season of optimism. I mean, here in July, everybody is thinking Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. who would have thought the Jacksonville Jaguars would have won a playoff game last year? They'll even be make the playoffs this time last year, but they did. So, I mean, a lot has to go in your favor. The Eagles can do it, and I'm believing that they're going to get back you know, to the Super Bowl because I would love to go to Las Vegas and watch the Eagles. <laughs> and listen, we would love to see you come back well, here I want for. To come back to the league first before they get to the Well, we want you to come back for the parade. All right, man. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Keith, it is it is always a pleasure to check in with you. All our best to you and your family, and uh, we you. will stay in touch. Thank you so much, man. Well, you guys have a great Sunday afternoon. Right, tell tell Pepper we sent our, our regards. I will let him know. <laughs> All right, there you go. I love that story that that's the day you met your wife. Yes. And you remember, you know, so you will always put those two things together. I had a buddy. I was only here in Philly full-time a couple of months. Had a New York Giant friend come down and – Go to the game with me just as fans, not as a member of the media. And we went out and grabbed cocktails thereafter at, you remember Market Street Live? Oh, yeah. Eighth and Market? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where we went, and that was the night that I met my wife. Who did nice. not know that it was going to be my wife 30-some-odd years later. There, but there you have it. Keith and Bell. all I could talk about was, did you see Keith Byers <laughs> crush Pepper? And I pl- oh, my God. That's a crime. He should have been arrested what he did to Pepper Johnson. And uh, Keith still is having fun with it these uh, 30 years later. So am I. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, let us go to our producer, Dan Wilson, and find out what did we forget to talk about today? Yeah, well, really quick. Pepper Johnson, who was once mentioned in an episode of Seinfeld. Remember when George hands Kramer the photo of uh, Mr. Morgan, and he says he looks like Sugar Ray Leonard? And Kramer goes, he goes, salt, not salt, but. And Kramer goes, who, Pepper Johnson? <laughs> Very specific reference. That's the only reason I know who Pepper Johnson is. Uh, anyway, the answer to your question uh, earlier, who is a guy who uh, is in the Hall of Fame who Philadelphia fans might not really clamor to, similar to Scott Rowland, he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but the go-to answer who I went to I think might get himself in the Hall of Fame. Do you think anyone will show out for Andre Iguodala? Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, I think there are some uh, Sixers fans who appreciated his game here. He was kind of miscast because he was he was the number one guy on the team. He and, was never supposed to be a number one guy. Right. I mean, he was obviously a great support. You know, he's Mike Mussina is who he is, Jody. He's AI after AI, which was completely unfair. There yeah. was no way he was going to be able to carry that torch. I'll tell you more. Andre Iguodala love for the Hall of Fame than Scott Rowland. Yeah, probably, but I, I agree. And there's not a lot of people going to go up to Springfield to watch that one. 
All right. Uh, so really quick, training camp also starting this weekend, as you mentioned. It's not the days of Lehigh anymore. I was actually just out of curiosity going through all of the training camp sites for all the NFL teams. There's really only a handful of holdouts left who aren't doing their training camp either at the stadium or their regular practice facility. The Cowboys still do it in California, I guess, because they have a following out there. But most of the teams are – like the Eagles are kind of just going with the trend here. It's not really just them. Yeah, no, I know. And the trend started before them, and, and they did it, and I get it, and guys get to sleep at home, and you know everybody appreciates that. But when I talk to the old-timers, we didn't discuss it with buyers, but the old guys talk about there was a certain bonding that went on, brotherhood that went on, mm-hmm. when you spent a couple weeks out at some college campus in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I don't know that you have that now, but listen, hey, the Eagles are really good. They got to the Super Bowl Hard to last argue year. with how they're doing things. I cannot yes. argue with their success in any way. Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony, as you mentioned, Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland going into today. Two things that I believe make baseball unique in their Hall of Fame induction. One is it's the only one that goes on in season. The other three do theirs in the off season, I guess, because, you know, it's the weather's nice in the summer. And also, am I correct in saying that baseball is the only one that makes you, well, not makes you, but that te- players oftentimes declare a team when they go in for the hat? Like, like in football, yeah, they don't it. do it. Basketball, they don't do it. I don't believe they do it in hockey. Correct. They're the only sport that does. That, that, that you, you, you are given a chance to – you don't have the only say. You have influence over. The Hall of Fame reserves the right because uh, yeah, our producer might not be old enough to remember this. Remember the Wade Boggs scandal, Mac Man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went in as a – he wanted to go in as a Tampa Bay Ray. Yeah. Even though no one considered him a Rays of Red Sox or a Yankee. More Red Sox than Yankee, but he did win a World Series with the Yankees. But he got a job after he finished playing, working for the Rays, and he had played short-term for the Rays. So he wanted to put a Rays uh, hat on his bust in uh, the Hall of Fame, and the MLB stepped in and said, yeah, we can't just give you 100% uh, say over what hat you're going to get to wear. Well, Wade Boggs changed that. So Scott Rowland going to go in as a Cardinal or a Red? I don't know. That's a great question. I would say Cardinal, but he was pretty damn good with the end. And he had, a, he, he had a real falling out with LaRusso, I know, at the end. Uh, but we know he's not going in as a Philly, which is kind of the point we started with. Dan, come on, I gave you some sound to play. you got to play well, that. Well, I know. Game. I'm getting to this also. Okay. So, okay. yeah, it was eight years ago this week. Uh, the Philly it kind of – the Cubs got shut out in this particular game. The Phillies – of course, were shut out last night, but back to happier days where the Phillies weren't playing so well as a team, but Cole Hamels in his final start uh, as a Philadelphia Philly out at Wrigley, and I think we all know what happened. Yeah, man, I remember that. And and Jody uh, Odubel Herrera, oh. was, I mean, he was he was a bonehead in almost every way, but he's like stumbling around. It was you know fairly routine fly ball, just take a few steps back, and he's circling around and went back too far and had to 
fall forward in the dirt and catch it. He he brought drama to a pitch that didn't need drama. I think there was a little wind involved, but it was not a difficult play by any stretch of the imagination. And you're right, it came very close to dropping in. If it had hit his glove, you know for sure it would have been uh, called a base hit in Major League Baseball in 2023. Doesn't matter because everything's base hit. That should have been an error. But yeah, uh, the, the the McCarthy made a great call here on the radio. But you gotta you gotta see that to remember how close Oduble came to costing Cole Hamels his no hitter. So Hamels goes to the Rangers, where he goes seven and one for the rest of that season. They make the postseason. The next year he goes fifteen and five for Texas. The next year eleven and six. So he he goes on to play well after he leaves here. Do you remember any of the names? I'll ask you and Dan Wilson. Any of the names that the Phillies got in return for Cole Hamels? Oh, uh, the best hair in baseball, Jorge Alfaro. Uh, that is correct, catcher Jorge Alfaro. That is that is right. All right. Who, anybody remember who anybody I, else? I have to admit that I overstated his wealth. I I had good reports on the kid, and I thought he was going to be the. Oh, first he was a good prospect, and and you know, I mean, he's had a career. Not great, but he's had a career. Right, he stuck around Major League Baseball. Yeah, for I think a long he's with time. the Red Sox now. I mean, the backup, but whatever. The other guys in the deal. Well, none I, of... I know a few. Okay, go ahead. Well, Jared Eikhoff, they got back. Correct. Uh, as well as Nick Williams. Yes, who was going to look Williams. like he was going to be an I forgot about Nick Williams. Nick Williams, uh, Alec Asher, another pitcher, Jake Thompson, another pitcher. Uh, they took the contract to Matt Harrison. I don't think he never played anywhere. And they gave up Jake Diekman in the deal, who is still in the major leagues as well. So I do not believe the Phillies won that deal. You, you don't put that in the W column. Huh? I do not. No. Right. Anyway, <laughs> oh, really quick, Scott Rowland will be going in today as a St. Louis Cardinal. Cardinal, yeah, okay. Good for him. Baseball heaven, knock yourself out. I'm not bitter. All right, let us take a quick break. We'll come back for leading off next yep. as the Phillies wrap it up today. <clears throat> Excuse me, wrap it up today. Hopefully can score a run maybe in Cleveland nice. right here on 94 WIP. The Bet Park Sportsbook app is the only one that I recommend and play with. They cater to the real Philly sports fan with best-in-class customer service. Birds Open Training Camp this week. Now might be a time. I don't know if you want to bet that first preseason game. Oh, by the way, the Ravens don't lose. Um, but how about future bets? Eagles to win it all. $50 bet gets you 350 Chiefs, the only ones who are favored over the Eagles as of right now. They're the second choice in the league. They're at 5-1, to one, so you win 300 for a uh, $50 wager. Check out the Eagles versus who they will play in the Super Bowl. Pick a winner. Increase those odds. It's just a fun bet that you can make, and then you can follow and carry the excitement of it all year long. I hope that you had Brian Harmon in the open wagering this week as it's wrapping up here. They're coming down the last couple of holes. Long shot win in the U.S. Open. Bet Parks is a uh, sponsor of the PGA Tour. It just gives you a chance to get more action with your action. If you've never played with Parks before, join up now. Your first $10 wager, if you get it correct, you get $125 in a bonus sports book bet back. Pretty darn good. Must be a winning bet, and your bonus bet must be wagered at once, but it's a great way to start an ongoing relationship with the good folks at the Bet Park Sportsbook app. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.